joining us. Hi, Ferret. Hi, Flame. Hi, fandom. Welcome, everyone, to episode five, where we're going to be focusing on alternate universes. Before we get started, we want to make sure to thank Pineapple Bread for letting us use a work from her famous Tattoo AU series for our cover art. Make sure to check out all her work even beyond that AU. First up today, Flame will talk to Blade of the Nebula about AUs and fandom. And then Ferret and I get a little bit more meta and we focus on three specific alternate universes that fandom populates and why we think they work the way they do. Then we'll change directions a bit and have a chat about feedback and validation and how important both of those things are to the life cycle of fandom. In this segment, we do dig into some feelings and we ask you to do the same. For some people, that might bring some of those feelings up to the surface in a way you might not be expecting from a podcast about hot superheroes fucking. So if you're feeling at all compromised right now, this creator corner might be one best saved for when you're alone, just in case. We know we're going grocery shopping with a lot of you, and we don't think this is necessarily an avocado aisle appropriate segment unless you're into sharing your feelings with the fresh fruit section. And finally, we'll close out with a batch of minis. We'll hear from you in community talks, from Ferret about trope off and her feelings on some dog breeds, and as always, your events forecast. So let's get started. podcast landia i am here today with blade of the nebula hello hello thank you so much for joining us this is a really exciting conversation always very excited to be here excellent well the way we start every podcast interview is with kind of where we all started in fandom so would you mind telling us how you got here can do actually so i was thinking about this quite a lot because i actually realized it's been a really long time <laughs> way longer than i actually thought it was so um, when I was about 15, I started getting into like, uh, like a specific cartoon. And I'd also realized like up to that point that I got into stuff a lot more than my friends did. Like we all like stuff, but I liked it in a very like intense way where I was like, I really love this. And I was watching fan vids for it. And someone who in a very, it sounds incredibly dramatic to say it this way, but who effectively changed my life left a comment underneath being like, oh, I love this character. I've written a story about it on fanfiction.net. And I was like, what is fanfiction.net? And I clicked it and that was that. And then I was into <laughs> fanfiction. I started reading it and I'm still reading it now. So I, I wish one day that I could work out who that person was and thank them. But also I have no idea who they were. So if it turns out they're randomly listening, thank you. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So, and then I sort of you know, totted my way through the main stuff. I was like, you know, I started reading random bits and pieces and then I moved on to like Stargate Atlantis, which is my first like major fandom. And I think that one, I only mention it because it was sort of, it's sort of relevant to the whole stony thing, is that like, it was the first time I also realized that I could really like content, but also be like deeply in love with the characters as themselves and also the fandom version of them. And I could like them better and I could like them more in fanfic. So I sort of totted from there. And then one day my best friend was like, hey, there's a movie coming out that uh, seems like your thing because you're a nerd. And I was like, oh, legit. And I think I'd seen like Iron Man by then and but like kind of just went, oh, that's a cool movie. I enjoyed that. And then I walked into a theater in 2012 and I effectively never walked back out. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way that said it. So in 2012, I moved to the Avengers at Tower and I have not left. I squat there. They don't know I'm there, maybe. Maybe they do. Maybe they've just learned to accept me. It's hard to know. 
Well, just, I would imagine as long as you let Clint live in the vents, everybody's pretty happy. Well, presumably. I'm sure they'd love for Clint to be out of the vents as well, but you know, what do you do? Do do we though? Anyway, but that's a whole other conversation. Um, I love this idea that it's, that a fandom taught you that you can love multiple things at once that may disagree with each other. And that, you know, the MCU, Marvel in general, has how many universes that were, are all contending with each other. Um, but even within the MCU, like, it's not like the writers really cared about continuity. God love them. So we all could kind of, you know, we all kind of have to make a couple round pegs fit in square holes in a certain way. Um, and you and I were talking offline a little bit about how that's one of the reasons that alternate universe fix and art and fan vids and pod fix are so much fun in the Marvel universe. Would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I think I think we're quite lucky in that like the MCU lends itself so well because it already establishes the multiverse. It doesn't feel so weird. Like I know some people feel a bit weird doing kind of like a different verse to the canon that they love so much, but I think because it's sort of already expected, because Marvel already does it itself, you kind of go, oh, my thing is just as possible as the thing they came up with. Like it's not weird, it makes sense. And so I think I'm not saying that's what everyone thinks when they do it, but I think it just gives you a bit more flexibility in terms of not feeling strange about not having to do every bit of canon. So there's that side of it, definitely. And I think also in terms of kind of also being able to accept, as I, as you mentioned, the kind of idea of, oh, you can like some of it, but not all of it or whatever. So like you can love the characters, but maybe you don't enjoy parts of the story as much anymore, or maybe you like a certain aspect of it. And I think AUs create the space where you can be like, oh, I love Tony, but, you know, I didn't enjoy Age of Ultron and I don't know how I feel about that. And so instead, you can create, you know, your own verse. Maybe you're creating like, you know, rival pizza parlors and the bad guy is Ultron. But you don't have to do any of the other stuff that goes with it. You can just have a bit of fun with it. So I think in terms of that, it's really good. You, you can explore your own creativity. You can like add as much and as little of the canon as you like and everyone kind of just accepts it but it also helps you kind of tell your own story because people can you you create a roadmap because you're using canon as a basis people can follow a story and you don't have to say as much i've tried to explain this to my friend who did not understand how use it all um but basically you know you can name drop something and everyone knows what it means so using that ultron example you can say oh, that guy who owns the parlor is Ultron and everyone already knows what that means. Like, that's going to be the villain of the piece. You don't have to go into a whole thing. It just kind of lets you do all the fun bits that you like. And there's already kind of these roadmarks for you. Yeah, it's a shorthand to world building, even in alternate universes, absolutely. Like, I, I certainly use Brock, Haylock, whatever, as um, I change his name all the time. Um, but anytime I say Brock, I'm hoping people know that I'm writing somebody who is going to be a, a terrible human being. <laughs> um, it, because in my worlds that I create, I don't do the redemption of Hydra husbands. And so I hope that my readers can track with that pretty quickly. Um, but yeah, Ultron's a fantastic example. And I'm thinking here, like I haven't read a whole lot of fics that um, treat Ultron as a villain like that. And now I need to go find some. Um, so what was the, do you have a memory of kind of the first category of alternate universes you started kind of like really reading? So like weirdly enough, like, no, I think I know that when I first started, I found them really 
like rare almost, which is like a weird, like I think there were plenty of them, but I think so many people were writing like post 2012. Well, right. we call it post 2012 now, obviously it wasn't at the time, it just was 2012. Um, and everyone kind of continued from there. And so you would find the odd one, but I always found myself craving a lot more of them. And then I think as we moved into like, um, I think as we kind of mentioned offline, the idea of like the divisiveness of the MCU is that as we kind of moved into, I would say probably starting with Age of Ultron, I think without trying to speak for too many people, but like that that wasn't quite the sequel to the Avengers that people were expecting. And, you know, some people liked it, some people didn't, that's completely fine. But I think a lot of people didn't feel quite as cozy as they did kind of in that post Avengers one period. So I think a lot of people started trying to go, okay, like what else can I write with it? And then I think that style kind of moved through, you know, like you know, for some people Winter Soldier, but obviously people diverted off into different ships in that sense as well. Um, but then also through Civil War and Endgame, I've noticed like a real increase, I think, post Endgame of like how many people are writing AUs. When I go and check stuff, there's just seems to be so many. And part of me is like so excited because I'm just like, I love AUs, they're my favorite. <laughs> like overall um but it's just really interesting to me that I used to have to be like oh my gosh like oh my god someone's written a coffee shop at you I'm so excited and it would be this short little cute baby thick and I'd be like ah this is so good and now like it's more likely for me to find like a 15,000 word plus AU where someone's done like way more world building or at the very least is like decide they want to spend tons of time exploring it and it's really really cool um, but I do think, I think my first kind of the AUs that used to be quite common when I first started were definitely probably because of the age range as well, were kind of um, high school AUs or uh, like definitely coffee shop AUs, which I feel like was almost people just kind of falling into what is an AU? Oh, I know there's a barista involved. And you're like, yep, <laughs> love it. Perfect. <laughs> That's great. I don't know anything else about an alternate universe, but I know it has to take place in a Starbucks. So Yeah. Exactly. I get Starbucks. Why won't they? We all will. It's great. That's fascinating. Do you have any, besides that like idea, I'm interested because, so I came into AUs right around the same time. Obviously I came into fandom because the fandoms I read before this did alternate universes like Harry Potter, but not to the same extent that we do uh, in the, in, in the MCU. I just, not at least in my experience, but I was fascinated, but I entered this past summer and coffee shop AUs were kind of on the decline from what I was reading on Tumblr and on Discord and things. But I don't quite understand why we all got so into coffee shop AUs specifically. Do you have any any kind of, is it just the coziness you think? Like Tony loves coffee and coffee shops are comfy? Like, do you have any theories on that? Well, I think, so I actually also like kind of in prep for this, I was looking at kind of some some analysis around like AUs and things. And I did actually read like a similar kind of thing where they were like, oh, you know, everyone always, you know, totes it as like the example. And I think, you know, I just did it because it makes sense. I read, I read a lot of them. Um, but it was definitely, they were going, oh, actually like in news when we did a cross fandom thing, like retail and coffee AUs were kind of, like, I think like 10th in line or something. And so they were like, it's, yeah, like it's big, but it's not as big as you automatically assume. Like, you know, you just kind of go, oh yeah, that makes sense. I've read a bunch. There must be, you know, that must be the thing. But, and like, weirdly enough, I remember seeing a post um, from Copper Badge, I think, where they were talking to someone and someone was trying to say like, oh, I think flower, flower shop I use, the new coffee shop I use. And like, <laughs> look at how prevalent they were in comparison. And I found that really interesting because I'd also realized I'd also read in other fandoms, to be fair, um, like a weird surgeon file shop I use. And I was like, huh, 
okay, yeah, like, we, are we all just doing that? Fine. I like that too. Um, but I do think, I think coffee shop I use, I think, fall into that kind of fun category when they're kind of like an obvious meat cute almost like, you know, everyone goes to the morning coffee and then there's someone behind the counter and they're cute. You can imagine an idea where they, you know, they're writing your name and it's kind of sexy when they do it. And, you know, they're asking your name and now you both know each other's names because you've been bold enough to ask about their name tag. Like, I think it just offers this kind of weird opportunity where you can be like, yes, this makes sense because it's the thing I do. Whereas I think people struggle, say, a bit differently when you do something like a historical AU where you've got to step outside your own experience and kind of work out how you're going to tell that story. Whereas, yeah, like that's really easy. Um, you know, you get a lot of stuff with like, you know, people write high school AUs because, you know, we've all done high school. And even though a lot of those AUs are not like my high school experience in any way, I still respect them a lot. They're a lot of fun. So, you know, like I think there's a space you can say, what does my experience look like? I could make that a story. And so you kind of fall into the same stuff we all kind of have done. And then there's like a wider experience. You're like, I want to try something new or I've seen this movie or this, I read this book and I want to make that. And that's like a bit of a harder, a harder stretch because it's not like the thing you do. So what right now, I guess, because obviously we, we are both similar in our AU consumption, which is, oh, it's an AU. Fantastic. I'll give it a go. But is there a theme right now where you are reading quite a lot of a specific category? Yeah, so I think I I personally think one of the big, big pushes, and I think as we've all talked about, like I think Sabre is like a really big one for that. I think Omegaverse is like the big one right now because there's also, it's the kind of one with, which you can fit and match with the tropes and other things. So like, I think, you know, we've talked about, um, you know, the idea of kind of what fix are popular for everyone. I know, for example, like, a lot of people who may not be as interested, say, or, or are interested, but, you know, may not read it as heavily, may have read, like, Stetsons and School Teachers, for example, even though they're not huge on Westerns, because it's Omegaverse. And so it's like, oh, cool, I get to read that and a Western. That's so cool. And there's, like, a lot of that. And I'm seeing, I think, um, we're seeing kind of a big trend, I think, especially, like, I know there's a lot of them on Tumblr. I know we talk about it a lot in the Discord as well. But kind of there's, like, you know, Warlord. Um, I know a lot of people are going for like arranged marriage and a lot of that ties in really comfortably with the Omegaverse because, you know, you can do this social injustice, this kind of social imbalance. And so you can do a lot of stuff, I think, with a historical perspective that a way people may not have felt comfortable before, especially if you have to try and make one of your characters kind of the woman character almost historically. So like not everyone's comfortable with that idea when you have to do it, you know, specifically making them into a female but it's very different if you can then say oh no like they're still them but they're an omega and so now I can fit them into a historical context and I can do all of like I don't want to say the cool parts of history because parts of history are very dark but like you know you can do that side of it and still have your character be themselves without any like major changes you've just kind of added a thing onto it so I've seen a real push I think in historically use that then feature omegaverse which is kind of great because I both read alpha omega and like are down for it but also love, love, love historical AUs. So I've been super thrilled because they have definitely been rare over my time in fandom. And now they're kind of blowing up because people have this other aspect they can tie into it. Yeah, I would admit that writing a historical AU was would intimidate me. So I have a lot of respect for people who can tie that, but it makes a whole lot of sense the way you just said it, that we have another entry point. Writing the historical oppression of women isn't, you know, fandom's supposed to be fun, and that's kind of a downer, to put it lightly. 
so to create this whole other category of social oppression that looks very similar, but you can stretch it a little and, you know, amoeba it in a way is a way to come into a story differently. That's a really excellent point. Yeah, so it, it, it's fun. It, it's definitely a lot more fun, I think, now that everyone's a bit more into AUs as well, because it kind of means that you can bounce off each other. So, like, in terms of me saying, like, there's a bit of a warlord trend, obviously, that's, I quite frankly think that's Sabre as well. But, like, I remember that, um, you know, there was a post that was on Tumblr, and then I've also read something where I read a fic that was inspired by that, and they hadn't actually really made the connection that they'd gone, oh, yeah, like, I'd seen this idea, and I've now written it. And I think there's a lot of that where you read you know, you read an AU, you really like the version of it, and you think, this was fun, I definitely want to try it myself. And because there's already a blueprint, again, I think you feel more comfortable with it, so you don't feel so scared to attempt it yourself. And I think there's a lot of that with AUs, because there's lots of different, you know, because more people are writing them, people are going, I could do that too, which is so cool. Yeah, the more cake theory is wonderful. We all want more fan work and more opportunities. So every time somebody is brave enough to try something new or republish the same thing they've written 400 times, we're all thankful. Exactly. So one of the things about AUs that I find very fascinating in the last year is that this is the first time in the Marvel canon, in a way, in the MCU canon, I should say, that we have no expectation of another work that is going to come out in this particular storyline. Sure, we have Falcon and Winter Soldier and we have Black Widow coming out, but they're not gonna really impact the arc as we've been told it. So now that we're not waiting for any other canon pieces, canon is in a way closed, we can now react to canon as an entire entity. So we can write fix it fix, we can write complete AUs, we can kind of go really off the reservation as it were, because there is nothing else coming that we're going to have to react to. We have all that we need to react to. Does that, is that just something I'm thinking or does that make sense to you too? No, I think that's a really huge part of it. I think it's like, especially if you're not into fix-its, which, you know, I think before, because there was something more coming, you're like, oh, I don't necessarily need to write a fix-it because, you know, there'll be something that may repair it or change it or what have you. But because that's not there anymore, I think a lot of people are kind of like, well, if I don't like a fix it, then I need to create my own thing. And so I think there's been, I think we've, I know in the discord, there's been a bit of chat about like kind of almost like a resurgence and people looking for more 2012 stuff, like the post 2012. Um, and I think that ties in really well with the AU theory as well. Cause I think, you know, a lot of people are like, right, you know, that part's closed to me now it's, it's done. Or, you know, I mean, not, Obviously, there's also a lot of conversation about whether people enjoyed how it finished up, whether or not that was for them. Like, personally, I think the way I've kind of always separated kind of the canon material and fandom, for me, it was kind of fine because I could enjoy the end of the MCU, well, not the MCU, but I could enjoy the end of kind of the Stony story and not feel too sad because I also have this version that exists in fan fiction and that can keep going and that can keep going for as long as I need it to. And I think it must be the same for a lot of other people as well. And I think that's where the AU is really great because you don't have to, you don't have to untie, you know, you don't have to pick up those threads. You can be like, I'm happy with that. And now I can write a different universe in which I want to do this or they do this, or they can do everything that I wanted the MCU to do, but didn't, but you know, in a, in a different kind of space. So I think people kind of having this opportunity now to not be quite so restricted by the canon as well. Cause you know, you're not worrying about whether or not, you know, to use the old phrase, we're not going to be just like, you can just kind of do it and it's great. And, you know, you can also, I think for people who are kind of feeling a bit sore maybe also about the ending, 
they can now just be like, well, you know what? Forget it. Now they live on a farm together and it's great. It's nice. And you know what? There's no Thanos. There's no Thanos on that farm. And it's great. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. And I think also that people can now explore, you know, completely different options and kind of, I think we've probably also seen like a resurgence in people kind of deciding that maybe they don't need the canon to enjoy the product almost, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. My uh, Twitter bio says that I believe the only one who died was Thanos. I think that's legitimate. I think I approve of that. Even when I have to do canon adjacent works for either my own plot bunnies or I have some very generous bidders on some of my MTH auctions that have asked for canon adjacent things, I'm still creating it in a world where Thanos is the only one who died because I am so frustrated at some of the plot holes that led to anything else than that being a reality. So that's my particular headcanon. And I think when we talk about AUs, we could easily diverge into talking about headcanons. And I'm realizing that that's probably an entire other conversation. So let me pause here. And Neb, I'm wondering what you're reading right now. Well, I admit, so I've broken my rules actually in the last year quite a bit because I used to just, I used to be, you know, the kind of person who just avoided for the most part uh, kind of works in progress because I'd been burned too many times <laughs> by that point. I was like, all right, I mean, stick to finished. And I would only read like, say I had like two or three authors on my list who regularly finished up. So I was like, okay, like I'll read their works in progress, but no one else kind of thing. And quite frankly, since joining the discord, I've just stopped doing that because people post stuff and it looks really cool. And I'm like, Oh, like I'll just, I mean, there's no harm in just taking a little peek. You know, no, no one's going to get hurt. So I go and read those as well. Um, in terms of AUs, actually, I like recently read uh, is the Hercules AU uh, by Loz Fanchik, which is, as the title suggests, a Disney Hercules AU. And it's great. Very, very great. It's only a couple of episodes. It's, only like, it's, it's getting there. It's a decent way in. So if anyone wants to check it out, it's well worth it. Um, but it's very much the exact kind of uh, retelling AU that I like, which is, um, you know, making it their own. I think one of the kind of pet hates that I have, which, you know, not trying to slam anyone, but just when it's, when someone does like almost like a direct retelling, like very strictly direct, I find it quite hard because like I'm kind of here to do like a bit more inspiration by or, you know, like there's no harm in using like a key line or something or maybe like a key scene. That's completely fine. But like I've read stuff in the past where someone's kind of basically just redone the script. And I find that quite difficult because I'm like, oh, you know, I want to see what you do as a writer. Uh, so the Hercules AU is perfect because they've taken inspiration. They've done their own thing. They've, you know, they've used a different, they've used other characters, not just the main ones. So I definitely recommend people check that out. It's very, very cool. And, you know, it's, it's definitely like a long enough that you're getting a good taste of it, but there's still a bit more to come because they're writing it, which is fun. Well, it sounds like that's really immersive um, and really fun. I love writing and reading retelling AUs. The, actually, the second fic I ever did was a retelling of the movie American President. And so I resonate with the idea a lot of taking an existing property and, well, actually two existing properties technically, and mushing them together and kind of playing with them like Play-Doh. So I'll definitely have to check, check that fic out. That's all the questions I've got. Nev, is there anything else you want to say before we say goodbye? I think, 
generally I think I just want to say like a big thank you to like the community and fandom in general because I spent a lot of time like lurking around um for <laughs> since I was 15 and kind of being very much like you know fanfic especially especially like stony fanfic has essentially been through my life throughout like you know tough times good times you know there for a pick me up there for just a good time whatever since then and it's just been like like part of the reason I started writing again and kind of pushing myself to do it and also trying to get involved in the community is because I was like it did so much for me still does so much for me and I want to be able to do that for someone else even if it's like the most minor thing so I think generally I just want to say you know big thanks fandom like you're great you're there for you know sad teenagers and even happy teenagers and grown-ups and people people who are nearly 30 and also still enjoy things so yeah and I want to say like also thank you to generally the put on the suit community because they've been very welcoming very cool and really great for you know support when I've been trying to work on fix especially now that I actually have a work in progress list of my own which is confusing for when I didn't write and just had random documents with like 20 words in them as a big idea and now I have a list and auctions and all sorts and like there's always someone willing to listen when you need someone to read over something or just to give you like an idea so just a general thank you is I think what I want to end on. That is lovely well thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. For this episode of Let's Talk, we're going to talk about alternate universes. But before we dive in, a quick note on what's going to be covered today and what's not. We are not talking about retellings in this one, like Romeo and Juliet, but Stony, or Pride and Prejudice, but Stucky, because that's a whole other fascinating topic that we want to spend more time on. So instead, we'll be talking about alternate universes in general. So alternate universes, or AUs, are stories where the setting is anything other than the one from canon. Some of them have ended up with kind of coined names of their own, which usually come with expected tropes and assumptions, like with a high school AU or a Regency AU, and there's many, 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 many more. But there's also an endless production available here. Alternate universes are my favorite, <laughs> and I write more of them than anything else. So everyone's mileage varies on them. And I respect that there are people that only exclusively read canon and and some people that only read certain AUs, I read just about every kind. But I love the idea of taking these characters and stripping them of their superhero-ness or whatever and examining the core of who they are. And that even means Tony, which I think a lot of people don't think of as much because it feels maybe easy to separate Iron Man from Stark Industries, but I love thinking like, okay, so if he isn't Howard's son in this particular way that we encountered him in this particular canon, Mm -hmm. what about him still stays? Is he still this way if, and the same with Steve. So if he isn't this, the, the guy who got beat up in alleys and then got chosen for an experiment, what pieces of his personality are still the same? I love playing with that. I love that too. I think there's a there's an attraction there and as a writer who's primarily characterization driven, it's a chance to get to sort of restart and explore the character over and over and over again in new ways. And as much as I love all the drama and angst um, and tension of canon, it's nice to play in other calmer sandboxes too. 
So I really, really love writing characters meeting for the first time, like meet cutes and AUs are some of the absolute best places to get to do that. Oh my gosh, there's so much fun. And the possibilities are endless. We're going to focus on three specific categories of AUs today, because if we were going to talk about all, I and mean, we'd be here for longer than we already are, and you poor people suffer. Our voices would be shot up. by the end. <laughs> like, oh my gosh. So we've picked three. The first one we're going to talk about is the proverbial coffee shop AU. Then we're going to talk about space. And then we're going to talk about the clinks clunks universes, which is where one character is canonically the hero and the other one is the modern non-canonical version. And to do this, we're doing a hybrid of let's talk and the plug. So we'll be talking about a specific fic for each of these categories. So first up, let's tackle coffee shops. So I did do some math. There are 128 that are tagged coffee shop AUs specifically in Steve Tony, and there were over 1,200 in the Marvel fandom that were tagged coffee shop. So why are people so into coffee shop AUs? I think that, I mean, we can definitely put coffee shop in the category of what we call mundane AUs, which are alternate universes where they're places where we real people could, could be. They're very relatable and yeah. they're common and a nearly universal experience is often part of it. These are taking characters we love that live in extreme circumstances and instead putting them in mundane circumstances and exploring that. Yeah, so other examples of this would be like the very adjacent like bookshop ones, which is mm -hmm. another weakness of mine. Florist AU. I about to say, we did a florist thing mm -hmm. for a little while. Librarian, kindergarten teacher, firefighter even is fairly mundane. Yeah, every summer we get the people who are like lifeguards. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, certainly don't mean mundane in a negative way, but it, it identifies a category of alternate universes that are real life for average people. I read a lot of contemporary romances that are set in small towns that do not exist in the real world where everyone owns a bakery and or a cupcake shop. <laughs> yeah. And this is the fic version of those. It's the fic version of Hallmark with cursing. Like, yeah. it's nice. It's comforting. So I think that there's a lot that plays into why specifically coffee shops are a popular AU. And for me, my feeling is that the most biggest one of those is that it's a really easy way to get two very diverse people to have a regular, consistent interaction. You can either have a customer and a server, customer and customer, or server and server. But it lets you take, say, Tony Stark, the Tony Stark, or just a Tony Stark, but still maybe rich, well-off, and have him bump into someone like your pre-serum Steve, who is a art student. And also, it's a really good way to get groups of people together. We are, as a fandom, pretty obsessed with found family. Mm. And coffee shops are places where groups hang out together. And this is increasingly so as more and more coffee shops in the United States anyway, kind of become hybrids and there are places to be, to play tabletop games and some other stuff like this as we continue to branch out from Starbucks's. Yeah. There's also the thing built within our, like Tony loves coffee and that's both Fanon and Canon. So it's easy to put him there in particular. Even beyond that, I just think that caffeine addiction is so incredibly broad sweeping and coffee shops also 
don't have quite the same range of um, accessibility and formality that restaurants can have. Mm. So like the restaurants that Steve would be going to, like food is a universal need, but the restaurant Steve would be going to in a mundane AU version of himself would be quite different from the one someone like Tony Stark would go to. And yet they probably have both gone to Starbucks. Yeah, no, that's correct. It's it's an equalizer. Coffee is an equalizer. Yeah, so I think that that, lets people explore um, relationships where there still is some kind of power dynamic to it or an inequality of some kind and gives them a place to interact. But you were talking about groups of people as well. It's a good point, like uh, couches, like on Friends, like this idea that people just grab a couch as a group of people and have their coffee and sit in a circle and talk about themselves or have you know, emotional discoveries or make friends or fall in love or what have you. Yeah. And it's a come and go situation. Like it's the same reason that pubs work. If you're going to be writing like firefighter AUs, for instance, like people often go to the neighborhood bar because you often need somewhere where group, like you need a public spot a lot. If you're writing a big group of people where people can come and go and, and conversations can kind of interact at different times. And that's Mm -hmm. a really easy plot device for almost like outsider POVs in a certain way. Like if you're trying to write that Tony and Natasha are falling in love and you really want to figure out how all their friends feel about it, then having Sam make some sort of comment as Tony orders Natasha's drink is a real good way for us to get into that without you having to do a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just... It's a setting with a lot of flexibility and a lot of realism. And additionally, not a lot of specialized knowledge. If you want to write like a firehouse AU, then you have to, you know, if you're not a firefighter yourself, it's the kind of thing you need to do a little research on. But I think most people have at least spent a little bit of time in a coffee shop. The fundamentals of what kinds of coffees are available and how to make coffee are fairly accessible and fairly common knowledge. So I think that makes it attractive too. True. Uh, yeah. Or you could just either watch an episode of Friends or the movie You've Got Mail and you've pretty much got all the knowledge you need. <laughs> and also a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people in general, but also a lot of people in fandom have at least at one point in their lives worked retail. And those these rather unique feelings of working in retail are fairly easy to dig into uh, if you've been there and kind of give people an emotional um, diving board to start with. Yeah, I love the coffee shop AUs where one of our couple is a worker and the other one is a customer. That leads us into the story we actually picked for coffee shop AUs for our little embedded plug. Um, We actually looked at a winter iron tale this time. It's called Of Coffee, Assholes, and Friends Who Are Little Shits by Tal Ruil. Did I say that horribly wrong? Almost certainly. I have no idea. They are a wonderful author, though, so please keep writing. They are. You have to practice your name. Uh, feel free to come on the pod and let us know how to say it. Yeah. <laughs> it's about 6K. It's rated M, and the AO3 summary reads, Shitty customers were part of any service gig, and Bucky got that. He really did. He dealt with angry patrons screaming at him and each other, emotional ones crying for no reason that he could see, and kids way too young to even enjoy being in a coffee house, run, scream, and break things. He knew it was part of the job. Making coffee was the biggest part, but just under that was dealing with people intent on making him just as miserable as they were. Really, he understood and didn't usually pay such people much mind. Later, he might bitch a bit with his buddies, but otherwise, he was good at letting it go. 
His newest and most persistent pain in his ass, though, was great at getting under his skin. And who do we think the pain in the who ass is? Who do we think is? the pain in the ass is? And he really is a pain in the ass. Like, no, he, like, Tony's a dick in this one. A, like, not, not in the, like, terrible way. But as you're reading, it's like, buddy, if you think this is flirting, man, are you off base. It's like 100% pigtail pulling. Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, because yeah, he's like, I don't know how to get the attention I want. So I will go, I will go with any attention I can get. Yeah. And I don't want that to sound negative because it's, it's, it's very well done the way that that plays out. And it, it does feel very Tony. It feels super Tony. It also, to me, this is peak who Bucky would be if he had never been the Winter Soldier. Yeah, it is kind of, um, it is kind of an interesting take on Bucky. Like it's, I do think it did feel a little different than a lot of the Bucky's that I have read. So that was interesting as well. Yeah, obviously we should have said this up front, but like, because this is kind of a plug, if you want to not read, if you want to like not get spoiled in any way, shape or form, read them and then come back. But I will say one of the things I liked the most about this is that they were both overtly thirsty for each other. Yeah, it was kind of the balance between wanting to piss each other off and wanting to make out was very well done and Bucky was constantly fighting with those two and like by the end of the fic I still don't feel that they had really like I think that that's a feeling that's going to persist throughout their relationship oh yeah no to cut off a fight Bucky just started blowing Tony (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) that's going but like that's also to me one of the core winter iron dynamics when yeah. I like and write Winter Iron, it's usually that kind of like, I'm going to kill you and fuck you and I don't know in what order I'm going to do it. So. Yeah, no, no, I totally get that. And like, even like Mr. Fair and I are, we like to argue and we like to get under each other's skin and, and kind of like, we'll have fake debates that can go on for a long time where at least one of us is arguing a point that we really no longer believe in, but you do not step down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's winter iron to me. Yeah, so I can totally relate to that kind of relationship. And I do really enjoy reading it. Yeah, I love in this one too, we don't often in uh, Bucky and Tony fix, like Steve is either completely absent. Like people don't know what to do with him at all. Yeah. Or they like, make- Like I will say that when I write winter iron, sometimes I have to leave Steve out because otherwise it'll turn into Stacconi. Like he's yeah, just fair. too attracted to both of them for me to keep him- <laughs> You have to give him someone else to be distracted by. Yeah, I pair him up with somebody else or, but I like in this one, he is Bucky's best friend. He is. And also, and also Tony's friend, which I love. And at no point in time do I get an inkling that he is into either one of them. I just get a feeling that he's a little, a little tiny pre-serum curmudgeon and I love it. I actually, yeah, there's very little time given to Steve and Tony's friendship in that fic, but what you get is so enticing that I want to read more that shows Bucky and Tony's relationship evolving, but then also getting to see what Tony and Steve are like as friends, because I think the little, little nuggets you get of their friendship is really, really intriguing. So Steve works for Tony. He's in some sort, he's a marketing agent. It sounds like he's pretty high up. Design. Yeah. 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 And, and for whatever reason, his, cubicle is the one tony hides out in from pepper i think 
I think there's something said along the lines of, to, of Steve being the only one willing to like kick him out when he's being obnoxious. So that's where he stays because he knows that if he's allowed to be there, he's wanted. <laughs> yeah. But like, okay, so he hides out with Steve in this universe and not with Dummy and Butterfingers. I wonder why. Like, that's the kind of stuff that I love in AUs and it hit, this one hit the nail on the head. I really found it to be an interesting, fresh feeling take on all three and the various relationships therein. And it's not very long, but the little bits that you get are, yeah, really interesting. Yeah. And I also love a, um, it played with Bucky only having one arm um, and that he has a metal arm and that it's hammer tech. I always love a fic where we're going to make fun of Justin Hammer. Yeah. And like, I will never, ever, ever get sick of the trope of Tony wanting to make Bucky a new arm. Nope. Ever. Ever. Never. And like Tony having a boner for the arm as well. Yep. It's like, I'm never going to stop loving that too. That's yeah. In terms of more cake, those are some of my categories of sprinkles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So all in all, I would definitely like say this is a good example of a coffee shop AU because it's, you it opens in the coffee shop it centers around the coffee shop in a lot of ways the relationship with bucky and tony is based in the coffee shop and the fact that tony is a customer changes the context of their relationship which helps create the tension between them that wouldn't necessarily be there otherwise like in the fic you are actually given a perfectly reasonable other excuse for them to meet and that's that they are both very good friends with steve and so the fic could easily have been separated from the coffee shop and have tony and bucky meet through steve but the story wouldn't be there because the inherent contention of the power a customer has over a server is the critical tension point for them as they figure out what it is they want from each other so it's it's a perfect AU in that way in that it is grounded in we recognize these characters these characters behave the way we think they're going to behave but this has nothing to do with Marvel as we know it. So speaking about nothing to do with Marvel as we know it, let's go not just a little further away but a lot further away and talk about alternate universes that are set in space. Yes, let's. <laughs> So I say that and Ferret giggles because famously, I'm not a space person. I watch Star Wars and I have a ton of feelings about the last movie. So at me and we can talk about it. I've seen a bunch of Star Trek and it just never really grabs me. Mr. Flame loves space. He wanted to be an astronaut when he was little and seeing a SpaceX launch is on his bucket list. So at some point I will metaphorically drag you all along with me when I have to go do that. But I don't read it in my AUs that much because when it comes to my fic, I prefer stuff that is conversations like less about thrusters and more about thrusting. (laughs) You can have both. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what I discovered. So I asked Ferret when we were first talking about this, if, if like space AUs were for Marvel in particular, were they popular before Guardians? Is Guardians what happened? Is it mostly crossovers? So, and what, and Fair did research. I did, I, you know me, I did some numbers. Um, but actually I can also say confidently that space AUs have been around forever. People have been writing them for, you know, all fandoms that they possibly can for a long time. Firefly was hugely popular, but that's, you know, definitely not the first time that people were using space uh, stories as their settings as um, what we call a fusion where 
it can be set in another canon's setting without using their characters. I mean, obviously, Star Trek has been around Star forever. Trek, yeah, is the Star grandmother Wars. of thick, yeah. And we also have Star Trek, Star Wars, Babylon 5, Battlestar Galactica, SGA. Like, there's a lot of space canons that we can use for fusions, and people love space. Uh, but in MCU specifically, if you just look at space AUs, MCU is actually the second largest collection of space AUs on AO3. And the huh. first one is BTS, which is the, the K-pop. The Korean boy band. band. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. So MCU has 362 space AUs. And the top three space AU ships within that are Stucky Stony and then Winter Iron. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So probably some of those are Stucky. These idiots in space. Yeah. Yes, these idiots in space. And fusions are very popular in space AU, so you'll see a, like, it'll, it, I mean, you might see, like, a Star Trek AU or a Firefly AU or an SGA AU, and that's where they're taking the setting and the rules and the structure of the space canon, but to putting our characters into that situation instead. Oh, that's fascinating. Many of them are, are just pure imagination. People love space. They love coming up with alien races and... Um, you know, I can't relate to this, but like <laughs> the politics of different planets and <laughs> probably a lot about space trains. <laughs> Some people enjoy world building. What? You know what? I wasn't going to say the W word, but. And world building was a huge part of this fic that we picked, even though to my memory, there is no train. I don't believe there's a train, but spaceships are space trains, right? Like Without, yes, without tracks. Okay. So, but there was nothing about steam engines or anything else. So fair, you were safe. I was okay. You were okay. So we picked By Guidance of the Stars by Guardian Mira from the 2018 Cap IM Big Bang. It's rated E and boy is it. It's 28K and the summary is that Steve is a space outlaw and Tony is a blue skinned alien prince who stows away on his ship. According to Steve's mark, they're soulmates. Too bad Steve doesn't know Tony's full name, and Tony doesn't know that soulmates are a thing for humans. Maybe they'll work it out once people stop shooting at them. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, first of all, it's a combination of soulmate AU, which I adore, and space, which is awesome. I will also say I don't read a whole lot of space AUs. I was blessed to get to beta this fic for an event. And I didn't know anything about it at the time. I just, I had signed up as a beta and I got contacted by the author and it was so much fun to get to work on this and to get exposed to something that I probably wouldn't have clicked on of my own accord. Uh, and I was so, so pleasantly surprised by it and I wreck it whenever I can. Yeah, and I loved it. I'll say this, on the record, Flame loves a space AU. Mm -hmm. But I loved that there were enough elements of difference that were fun, like, the names were spelled differently. I liked that Stark was a race and not a, just a family. And, but it all felt really familiar. Like Tony's flirting was Tony's flirting. And the, his relationship with Pepper felt very authentic to me. And I often, really the reason I don't always love space AUs, I'll just be honest, is I, as much as I joke that I love world building, I get lost in names of different planets and how to keep all the new races straight and it they make me feel it often makes me feel dumb like I can't keep everything in my head mm -hmm. and so I get very overwhelmed very quickly by things I don't recognize 
this didn't feel like that at all. And so it didn't ever take me out of the story. I was able to just lose myself with these two feckin' idiots. <laughs> and you That's knew- what we're here for, right? <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to spend time with these idiots. And you knew that it was all going to end terribly at one point. And you were just hoping, like, the question always with Steve and Tony for me is like, of course it's going to end horribly. That's going to be the tension at some point. But how do they put it back together? How long are they idiots? Right. And this one struck the perfect balance. I just thought it was a really well executed story. Some of the things that are sort of drawn from canon are quite subtle, which I liked. Like it's, the twists, in some places things are very the same, so we can feel very related to them, like the equivalent to the arc reactor. Mm. And then in some places things are very different. And to get off space a little bit, I also loved like the, the space that you gave the space, the, the space, huh? the room <laughs> to do, to have the soulmate thing, the, the line between them. Cause if it's, you know, with a soulmate, you have to figure out why can't they just realize they are soulmates. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. in this case, um, the Starks, Tony's race of aliens, they don't have soulmates. But Steve's a human, and he does. And his happens to be, I will ruin it for you, Tony. But because Tony doesn't have a soul mark, he has no concept of that. So not only is there a misunderstanding between them, Tony is legitimately ignorant of this fact. So there is no, you don't have to do a double-sided misunderstanding there. Steve actually believes his soulmate is dead, which is a whole other layer of presumed dead. You know what? There's just so many tropes. I think maybe that's what's... That's what really gets you with this one? Yeah, I just think that it was really clever to take a lot of tropes that maybe aren't generally associated with sci-fi or space AU and really, really apply them here. Like the soulmate thing is really relevant and the presumed dead stuff is done in a really like indulgently tropey way that I love. And, but it all just hangs together very well. And you've got Tony being a stowaway and a lot of misunderstandings and cute stuff with their names and the differences between Steve and Tony that we see in canon, Steve being from the forties, growing up very differently, rich and poor, like that can come through in the way that they are from completely different planets in the space AU. Yeah. So I think it's like, really, it's a lot of little things. And I agree with you that sometimes fantasy world building and sci-fi world building can just be a lot. And some people, that's their favorite part. You know, you, if you're a Tolkien who likes to draw maps and do conlangs, then it you seems like... to do like what? Conlangs. Those what is are that? like invented languages. There we go. I figured that, but somebody wasn't going to know it. Sorry. So. <laughs> um, yeah, it was one of Tolkien's favorite things to do was make up languages. And his like, from a linguistics perspective, he, I mean, he was a linguist and his languages are excellent they're they're they have depth it's not like he didn't come up with just like writing systems or something he legitimately came up with whole languages and that's amazing and I'm deeply impressed from an academic standpoint and have zero interest in doing that myself (laughs) yeah I love worlds that feel rich and I like a map big fan of a map I don't love it when I have to refer to the map every two or three paragraphs yes like there's like a balance for me for sure. This is a great place to say we have rec lists for each one of these categories. Mm. 
And so I plan on for sure diving a little bit more into the rec list for space AUs than I was maybe willing to before this fix. So thanks for being my gateway drug. Nice. By guidance of the stars. <laughs> and speaking of world building though, guys, we're so good at transitions. One of the AUs that doesn't require a ton of world building at surface, but can if you want to do it really, really intricately, is this whole clinks clunks situation that we've got going on within our fandom. So in order to talk about what even clinks clunks means, we have to start with Stucky. Because the term shrinky clinks, which is where we're taking this from, is a version of the Stucky pairing. So it's small pre-serum non-superhero Steve with Winter Soldier Bucky. And originally it was mostly used for their appearance, like it wasn't necessarily from those time points in their lives, but the idea was that it was the small version of Steve that we often call pre-serum Steve or small Steve or skinny Steve. And then that long-haired, slightly wilder, a little darker version of Bucky. So I don't know if you remember these, but in the 80s and 90s, they had these toys called Shrinky Dinks. And this is where the name originated. It was a joke, presumably. There actually isn't any exact recording of where the name Shrinky Clinks came from, but the Shrinky Dinks toys are definitely what, you know, what the pun was a play on. And Shrinky Dinks were like these pages of plastic coated paper that you could color the plastic and take the paper off and then you bake them and they shrink you like cut them out and bake them I, maybe you didn't with real shrinky dinks you didn't have to cut them out they were like pre-cut and they shrink and they become these like flat plastic charms like the kinds of charms you can order on a lot of fandom stores they were incredible they passed many many summer hours for me they were pretty cool and it, i mean it's a little bit hard to explain but I'm going to link in the show notes to one of the original Shrinky Dinks commercials, which also explains and shows how they work and what you end up with at the end. And you should definitely watch that because it's awesome. But we have heard that the reason why it was Shrinky Clinks was because Steve is Shrinky and Bucky's arm clinks. Obviously, it did come from Shrinky Dinks originally. And there is no definitive proof of who used the term for the first time. Then a cracky alternate name was named for was made for the reverse, which is Shrunky Clunks for if you've got pre-war unwinter soldierized Bucky, who's just an, a normal dude, and then Captain America. There's a small but dedicated number of Stony fans that use Stony Clinks and Stony Clunks to be non-superhero Steve and Iron Man Tony and vice versa. But there are so many iterations of these kinds of AUs especially since Steve has three modern versions of himself to play with. We've got pre-serum, post-serum, but modern, i.e. he was born a Dorito naturally, and then Cap. And then we have Tony, who's got a non-celebrity version of Tony, MIT grad student, for example. Tony Stark, the famous celebrity guy we know, but without Afghanistan, and then Iron Man. So, like, and then Bucky, you know, just to focus on these three boys, we've also got Bucky as pre-war Bucky, Bucky in the army as a sniper, Winter Soldier Bucky, post-Winter Soldier Bucky, whatever he turns into in Infinity War and Endgame. There's a lot of iterations. Yeah, and you can go out from that. Like, you could have Nat as, you know, somebody who was really... Like, I, I love every joke that we make ever that Nat's really sneaky or that Nat's a spy in, like, in <laughs> yeah. these AUs. She knows everything about everyone. Even when she knows she's everything about her. everyone. She has an affinity for knives and we don't know why. Like, 
you could do it like it's i'm sure it's happening i don't read spidey pool but it feels like that's something that could easily happen in deadpool and spider-man stuff too like this kind of playing around is i think growing in fandom although it's it is definitely the biggest ship doing it still is stucky for sure yeah we actually it's one of the largest numbers i've crunched there were 704 stucky fix that were tagged with shrinky clinks or the it's a it's a it's actually a canonized canonized tag on ao3 so it's a whole umbrella and everything posted with a relative of that tag will fall under that umbrella so 704 is probably pretty accurate it was harder to come up with numbers for shrunky clunks because it's not a canonized tag so um but it seemed to be about the same a couple little math things i did ended up still around 700 so they're both pretty popular and so actually picking one for this particular trope was not as easy as i thought it would be like i've bookmarked a lot of these i'll be honest because this is my favorite way to read stucky one of the two either one of these i love both of them but i love playing with with the modern version of one of them i'm not a huge pre-war stucky reader it's just not my jam i i don't love love that vibe as much and so this is kind of what i i love the most um and so we chose a story written by bunny mccool from 2018 which is called hey asshole a new york city love story right off the bat we're we're loving that we're here (laughs) for it i'll say too when i first got into fandom and i was starting to ask for thick wrecks this is one of the very first ones that was ever given to me so it does hold a bit of a special place in my heart the ao3 summary for this one is Bucky's running late for the bus and he's stuck in line behind some ridiculous shoulder to waist ratio bastard who's too busy flirting with the baristas to get his frickin' order in. After he tells the dude off, completely in his rights, he feels, the damn oversized puppy-faced ass keeps following him around and trying to apologize. And okay, dude is hot like burning. Bucky doesn't have time or patience for soothing the wounded ego of some dim rat wannabe with an obsession for dressing like he's hiding from the mob. And why are you laughing, Sam? (laughs) <laughs> which leads us right into one of the best parts of the fic, which is that Sam is friends with both of them and the, and Bucky doesn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so everybody is an Avenger that you know and love in this fic, except for Bucky. Like Sam is, a, like it's, it's got some of the later Avengers too. Sam is an Avenger as well. And but Bucky doesn't know this. Bucky has no idea. And you get a feeling that Bucky barely knows there are Avengers. Like they're kind of like in the ether of his existence, but like he doesn't really give a fuck because all he really needs to do is get to the VA on time. He's very focused on survival at the cost of paying attention to almost everything else in his life. And really seriously though, it's really clear. Like Bucky is fresh back from Afghanistan. His arm was taken off by an, by an IED. The He does not have in a prosthetic in this fic and it is a big part of who he is in this fic is the unbalancedness he feels of his body the way that strangers react to it this kind of like i can't handle anyone fucking up my routine is because the routine is really important Mm -hmm. and it is a utterly authentic view of what some uh, steve faced with i mean i'm saying authentic as though this person is real i respect that but like steve is so clearly an awkward golden retriever yes in this fic 
it is so like, this is who we would have gotten in 2012 Avengers. Like this fic could take place in 2013 and it would be perfectly hilarious. One of my favorite things about it is that everybody else knows that Steve's Captain America. It's not like it's a secret. My impression is that a lot of people don't know Sam's the Falcon or that probably would have come up earlier. Yeah. But Steve having this extremely famous dual identity when he was thawed that was public knowledge and Bucky missed it because he was in his recovery period and so he didn't really process it so when he meets Steve he just sees this like incredibly gorgeous idiot in front of him wasting time and the but the baristas are like they're flirting with him because he's Captain America he's famous like (laughs) there's this whole air around Bucky that the reader gets that Bucky absolutely does not get that this is Captain America and that's why the seas part for him. And Bucky just has, he just does not get it. Yeah. And everyone is looking at Bucky like he is weird. Yeah. Like you just told off Captain America. What like, is wrong with you? You just that. cursed out like, Cap- Yeah. Yeah. I'm late. <laughs> that is my second bus I've missed. <laughs> and Steve's so sweet in this fic. Oh, he's so precious. Love but I also love that the team loves Steve and are so on board with making fun of him for this crush he has on this guy. You don't get a lot because it stays in Bucky's perspective the whole time, but yeah. the little snippets that you get, and especially at the end when you see some of the team interacting, the way that they treat Steve, it's so affectionate and like, it's just so honestly nice to imagine this Steve who didn't have Bucky growing up to get to have that kind of closeness with people now. Yeah, there's this, the tiny, one of the tiny little details that sticks with me about this is at the very, very end, when they have that banner in the hospital, it says, can I build you an arm check? Yes and yes. (laughs) And then it's like, Tony, this is not how you talk. This is not how you bring up things like this. Like this, and you can absolutely tell it's Natasha's handwriting. Like, it's, yeah, I... I, it is a found family team fit from an outsider POV. And yet you also 100% get to taste the future where they are going to accept Bucky into this family like that. Like it's so, there's so much space ready for him. Yeah. And I love that feeling that they can have this super positive, loving relationship with these inside jokes and, and be this family that's kind of currently going over Bucky's head a little bit because he doesn't know many of them. And yet the fix still establishes for the reader that there is absolutely room for Bucky and they cannot wait to expand their family to include him. And that's such a warm future you're looking at that you don't get that feeling at the end. I mean, I, I desperately wanted more. (laughs) I did too. This could have kept going for thousands more words and I would have been happy. Yeah. And there actually is a sequel, which is actually Steve's POV of exactly the same story. Yes, and it's so worth your time. It's wonderful. But there isn't a sequel after this, which I would love to read. But even without a sequel, you can feel what some of the future is going to hold. And I love getting that feeling at the end of a story that you are going, that, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's upward trending. <laughs> yeah, I love, when I close the last page of a book or click off a fic, I want to believe that that life, that happiness is existing without me and I could always like check back in five years later and they're doing okay. Yeah, absolutely. I love that feeling. And that's what I'm looking for. It's why I only read Happily Ever Afters or at least like resolved stuff because I want to be able to still think they are existing somewhere else. Um, And 
this fic gave me that feeling just like you were saying um ashley and i have actually we use a term between the two of us called and then where if we read a fic where it runs up to say the moment of the talk where they reveal they have feelings for each other or the first kiss or something like that but you don't know what they're going to be doing in five years you don't have that feeling that like the moment after where you kind of come down from that and still like each other Mm -hmm. is like you have that question mark of like oh I just really want to know so it's like and then and then what happens and then so if we read a fic where we get that and then feeling we'll just come to each other and be like and then (laughs) (laughs) and then I think this happened and then and then yeah. Yeah. yeah and this fic is one of those ones that falls in between because you can absolutely see how wonderful it's going to be in five years, but that kind of gives you the end then feeling just because you want to get to live in it a little longer and you want to get to be a part of that as well. Yeah. Like I want to see the first time one of them tries to adopt a puppy. Like (laughs) I want to see like Bucky dragging Steve to a VA event. Like and they are all hanging out with like 98 year old veterans and Bucky just thinks that Steve's the greatest thing since sliced bread. But of course he can't say that cause he's so cool. And Sam's just like, come <laughs> off it, dude. You love him. Like, it's like. I just picture them walking around together with like Steve doing his little like golden retriever, like, look, I have a Bucky and Bucky trying to be all cool. But like, actually he's a total smush for Steve. He's a total smudge. And I want a not, like a, an 80-year-old woman named Gladys to be somehow involved in their engagement. <laughs> like, it, Yeah, it's, uh, it's like, there's got to be another term for and then, which is like, it's I when, just want to live in this longer. This yeah. that you have created, I want to move there. You're not ready to let go yet. Yeah, they've know. given you a whole story. There's a whole story there. Like, they've done their job, and they've done it I'm so well, I want more. But I want more, yeah. Yeah. We ran a much more comprehensive poll and discussion about AUs on the server, but on Twitter, we exercised their ability to force you all to only pick one. And we ran a quick poll of the three AUs that we talked about this week. And the votes that we got, modern slash superhero trope came in first with 66%. Then we have coffee shop and bakery with 23% and space sci-fi bringing up 11%. We had some great conversation back and forth. And my personal favorite one is from at Sarah cakes, six, one, three on Twitter, who says, I love a regular person with a superhero partner. It's like, sorry, ma, he can't make it to dinner. Why? Oh, he's cause an evil scientist in another country built an octopus death ray. So yeah, just going to be me tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Which I thought was fantastic. I think that sums it up nicely. So we're curious guys, what of these do you have any in these categories that you want more of? Are there AUs that you read that you want to move to those worlds and hang out in? Are there, you know, how does this work for you? In today's Creator Corner, we want to address something that we think is one of the biggest issues in fandom which is the relationship between creators and consumers. We'll talk about things like criticism and how to handle negative feedback or flames in comments. Pause here. I should be the only flame in your comments. (laughs) And all of that is a really big conversation. But today we're gonna focus on what we see as the building block 
of that relationship, which is your personal relationship with your creation and how that creation is received. So this creator corner is going to be talking about feedback and validation. You may think you're the only one who struggles with this or has questions about it or doesn't really know what to do emotionally with this thing, but we promise this is so universal and which is why we wanted to address it. We create within a community and that's one of the things that sets fandom apart from commercially created art. So feedback is inherently part of why we do this and how we post and share, which is why addressing it head on is really important. There's a lot of layers to handling sharing your art with the community that, and that includes soliciting and processing criticism and how to handle criticism you didn't solicit and all of that. But I believe that the base foundational layer starts with how you engage with positive feedback. If we can't have a healthy relationship with the feedback we most want to see, how can we even begin to engage with the harder, more challenging stuff? So there's a line between writing should be its own reward and I only got X kudos, so I must be terrible and I'm never writing again. And that line is self-worth. Feedback is important and you should never try to convince yourself that it's not part of why you're posting and sharing. It is because you can write on your own and never share it and enjoy that. And I've done that for years and years. But if you're posting it inherently, you're trying to make a connection. And of course it's disappointing when that connection falls short of what you're hoping for. But if you base your self-worth or your work's worth on how much feedback you get, and this is not the humble, oh no, I'm nothing special that society sometimes seems to demand from creators. But if you can't look yourself in the mirror, even when no one else is around and say, my piece has value, my piece is good, and I'm proud of it then no amount of feedback is gonna fill that hole and you will always be disappointed. So this is where the middle ground lies. When someone says, oh God, I got no feedback, my work is garbage. And the response is, but writing should be its own reward. That's the wrong answer. The answer should be that a healthy relationship with making art involves self-criticism, yes. But it also involves self-celebration and that is what the soundbite is trying to speak to. Writing doesn't have to be its own reward, but there does have to be some inherent reward in creating. If you feel no pride whatsoever in the act of creation, then the feedback you get, no matter how positive it is, will hold no value either. It might feel like it does for a while. That first hit, it's kind of amazing and you can get a little buzz off of it, but you'll always seek more and there's always a point where the feedback stops before you stop self-deprecating. There was a movie in the 1990s. It is, in my opinion, one of the echelon movies of my childhood, and it's called Cool Runnings. It's a Disney movie that starred John Candy, and it's the story of the Jamaican bobsled team. And I am talking about it because in the movie, one of the most seminal lines of my life an understanding about external versus internal praise comes from this movie. In the film, there's a whole controversy over staying true to who you are versus chasing external validation and at what point you sacrifice who you are to do that. So one character, and this is based on a true story, by the way. So it's one a great movie. You should oh watch God. it even not so for the message. <laughs> Please watch it and we can sing the Jamaican bobsled song. John Candy's character in real life cheated and was stripped of his gold medal for bobsledding for the United States. And this character, that's a big part of this person's life journey. And But he's now a coach for this Jamaican bobsled team. And he's talking 
to one of the guys who's super driven and like, I must get a gold medal. I must get a gold medal. And John Candy looks at this guy and says, you know, a gold medal is amazing. But if you are not enough without it, you will never be enough with it. And like elementary school aged flame saw that and it like stitched itself onto my heart. And it's something I've struggled with a lot in my life, but fandom creation to me is a huge part of that sentiment. If I don't feel like I'm a worthy member of this community or that what I wrote is really great, if I could draw, I would, you know, do this. The playlist I created, it brings joy. If I didn't feel that within myself, then it wouldn't matter how many gold medals I have. If I'm not enough without it, I'll never be enough with it. And that's an internal decision that has nothing to do with external conversations, validation, or improvement. So here's your piece of therapy for the day. Love your feedback, value those connections, accept that posting and sharing is by its very nature, an active community and connection. Accept that you can love your feedback and that that can be why you're posting, but also be cautious. I'm not saying this is easy, of course it isn't. You can't just push a button and find value in your art. But it's something to be conscious of because I think a lot of people don't realize they're leaning on their feedback until it fails them. And then everything crumbles down and it crumbles down hard. Of course it's hard when people don't like something as much as you want them to or when something goes unnoticed for whatever reason. And one negative comment will always stick with us way more than a hundred good ones. That's just being human. But one of the many ways we can protect ourselves from engaging with fandom in an unhealthy way is to consider these things and be mindful about our choices and try to self-examine our relationships with these things. So if you're struggling with that lack of self-worth and seeking more feedback isn't helping, or you're feeling like the feedback isn't enough, even when it's climbing, or if the feedback is declining and it's starting to make you feel like you aren't worth anything or you don't have a place in fandom, the best way to combat that is to keep seeking connection, but in other ways. Join communities, do events, make friends, private message with people, beta for people, get a beta for yourself. You can find really meaningful connections that will nurture your self-worth and help give you the tools to start valuing your art from a new perspective. I can promise you that one positive comment from a beta you trust will also stick with you more than 100 from strangers on the internet. And it's easier than you might think to find a beta. And that's definitely something that we'll talk about as well. A quick note of caution from my social worker training. We're having this conversation within the boundaries of fandom. And that's beautiful. But there is a lot of us that this conversation about self-worth and productivity and how you can contribute to the world is actually bigger than fandom. And it's something that has been deep and personal in our lives for a really long time. And I'm using personal pronouns because it's very big part of my life is understanding that my self-worth is not based on what I can produce and that people don't love me just because I can do things for them. I'm in my mid thirties and this has been a journey I've been on both therapeutically and medicinally since I was in my early teens. It's an ongoing thing and I'm in a pretty healthy place with it right now, but I can tell when fandom is tipping into ugly places where I published something that I slaved over and I've been hitting refresh on my email a little too often to get those comments that are not coming. 
and I spiral and think like, oh my God, oh, oh, I need to write something else really, really fast. I need to get something else out because then somebody will love me again. And I am grateful that I've had people in my life prior to fandom that have trained me and helped me see that in, instead of giving into that instinct to create more so that people love me, the correct response to that feeling of inadequacy is to find and talk to and seek out the relationships and the connections I have in fandom that are not based on creation or productivity. So that's when I DM a friend or have a conversation. Often when I'm feeling that way, I will seek out betaing somebody else's fic so that I can get in somebody else's head and get out of mine for a little bit. There's lots and lots of ways to do that. And I share all of that because I want you to understand that this is a bigger issue than fandom for a lot of us. And if you are on that journey with me and with so many others, I would really hope that you are in it therapeutically. I hope that there is spaces for you to be with a professional therapist. And I'm not saying that tritely. I'm somebody who believes that literally every human on the planet should be in therapy at some point in their lives, if not in an ongoing relationship. Perhaps medicine is a part of that conversation, perhaps it's not. But if this is hitting buttons that is bigger for you than, than fandom, I want you to take that seriously as much as you can and know that you're not alone. And that it is very, very normal to have fandom hit buttons that are bigger than it. A lot of us use fandom as an escape or a retreat from the things that we struggle with in real life. So it can be extra confronting and challenging and extra painful when some of the things that are hardest about our offline lives hit during these fandom experiences that we're supposed to be curating to be fun. We're supposed to be here for the joy. And when our fight for joy is within ourselves instead of between us and someone else, it's oftentimes a lot harder to face. It really is. Like it's really, and I think sometimes when we talk about writing should be its own reward, this kind of emotional connection is one of the things that gets lost. Because for some people, that's not actually a possible mindset because there's some other stuff going on. Yeah, it's, I think that it's, it's a reactive response to a culture of constantly seeking feedback, begging for feedback, needing more feedback, and also a feeling that work that does not have feedback inherently lacks worth, then it drives people to seek out specifically feedback as improvement. And it doesn't matter if that's in direct conflict with what your goals are, that's what the culture is pushing you to believe. It's very hard to step back from that. And I can promise that there are writers in every fandom and there are writers who have 400 pieces with 10,000 kudos and there are writers who have two pieces with 10 kudos. Everybody feels this at some point and that's, it's normal and it's universal. And I think it's part of being an artist. Yeah. And we hear this from our artist friends and from people who create pod ficking. And like, this is not just an exclusively writer issue. So Absolutely not. it looks different, but it's not, it's not innately different. If you create something, you're inherently taking a piece of yourself and you're putting it out there for public consumption. And it is 100% a normal human experience to want other people to value that and appreciate it and be grateful for it. Like one of the coolest definitions of friendship, for instance, I've ever heard is from C.S. Lewis. And it's, you know, a friendship is born when you meet somebody else and go, oh my God, you too? I thought I was the only one. <laughs>
And fandom is a big part of that. So when you combine that with the fact that most of us are self-indulgently creating ways that we can see ourselves on the screen or on the page or in the canon, because all of fan work is inherently beautifully and, and absolutely sacredly self-indulgent and I love it. So when you combine that need to like see ourselves in it somehow and this need that like you want other, you want other people to see you too. You want that to spark relationship and friendship and oh my God, I'm not the only one. It's very potent. It's very, very potent. And it's, it's why a lot of people who, who have been blessed because it is a blessing with really lovely, honest feedback, we can usually quote it off the top of our head. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, it stays with you. It stays with you. I have screenshots um, legitimately of the things that where people have been so kind. And I, I know on the servers, I say it a lot. Like I say, thank you for your kindness. Cause I really do think of feedback as a kindness. Um, it's not trying to be trite. I'm not trying to blow anybody off. It really authentically just feels kind to me because it's not mandatory and it's just lovely. It's just lovely and kind and gracious. And so I have whole screenshots because there are days I'm not good at remembering everything Farrah and I just talked about. There are, but I'm also really, really, really grateful that I have people in fandom and outside of fandom that help me on what I call my bad brain days. I, I do wanna make sure that the takeaway here isn't that feedback isn't important or that you shouldn't value it or you shouldn't celebrate those beautiful comments that you do get and that it's, it's wonderful and positive to have those screenshots of those wonderful moments and love them. That's great. This isn't as much about appreciating your feedback as it is about wanting the feedback to represent how you feel about your own art, trying to take other people's positive words and hold them instead of internalizing them. If you can't personally appreciate what you're creating at any level, then it will be harder for you to take those screenshots and look at those beautiful comments and truly appreciate how wonderful they are, how kind they are and what kind of connection that is. So that's the struggle that we're really trying to dig into today. So if you are somebody who struggles with this, which I mean, again, dollars to donuts, we're going to guess that's everybody within just listening distance of our voices. <laughs> We'd love to hear what tips and tricks you've used for remembering the value of your own creation internally. Is there ways that you've been able to do that that involves your own voice and maybe some other voices, but not relying too heavily on them? How do you strike the balance? Do you resonate with anything that Farrah and I have been saying? Do you think that we're completely bonkers, which again <laughs> might be true? We're speaking from our experience and from having these conversations with a lot of people. But if it's not for you, we'd love to hear about that. You know how to get a hold of us. something a little different on our Tumblr this time, and we're going to open up our community talk segment with that. We're trying to, as we've said in a couple previous episodes, come up with different ways to have conversations with you guys because, again, this is your podcast. And so we did a little, a little experiment on Tumblr asking an open-ended question. And so the question we asked was, which famous writer dead or alive, which has made me sing Bon Jovi for <laughs> do you wish was writing fic in your fandom? So my answer is that I really wish that Austin would write Steve and Tony. 
while we have had incredible Austin retellings in MCU, including Ferret's most recent Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> having Austin herself with her impeccable sarcasm, dry wit would be great. And then my favorite historical romance author that's alive and publishing now is a woman named Lisa Kleypas. And she writes absolutely cracking dialogue. So her getting her hands on Tony Stark full stop would just make me so happy. And she does these series where like it's, it's five different friends and each of them gets their own happily ever after and they're all intertwined together. Like give me that for, for the whole found family. Like, <laughs> just give me a sprawling series, please. So that's what that I said. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds great. Um, I was kind of all over the place because I'm actually currently writing a murder mystery AU and I'm actually writing it in Agatha Christie's style, which is hard, but really fun. Um, but I kind of want her to like come finish it for me because writing a murder mystery is really hard. It sounds really hard. It's, it's super, really I'm hard. super excited to read it, but it scares me. <laughs> I hope it works. I've been, I mean, I planned this out like actually a couple of years ago. I had the whole idea. I had the, um, the murderer and how it was going to play out. And, uh, a full outline cast of characters, all the twists and turns. And then I just could never actually put pen to paper to start writing the prose. And a combination of Knives Out coming out and me being like, oh, fellow love letter to Agatha Christie. And um, my MTH winner this year choosing it as their uh, fill for their win had pushed me to actually start writing it. And I basically just like read a bunch of I mean, I've read all of Agatha Christie stuff like 80 times, but I read a bunch of stuff and was like, okay, get get in the mode. But it's still really hard to write. So I would like Agatha Christie to come in and finish specifically my murder mystery AU. But if she wants to write more, that's okay too. First, well, thanks for, I'm sure she'd thank you for your permission. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, you got to pay your dues here. Yeah. You're just going to swan into my fandom. I mean, come on now. Yeah. yeah. But I'd also love to see Dickens write Tony mostly because I think that would be wild. But also I just love the way that he plays with language and his relationship with derivational morphology and word creation. And just, I think that would be fun. Would you pay him by the word? Oh God. No, nobody should be paying Dickens by the word anymore. <laughs> I think we both agree. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why I can't, that's why I struggle with, I love his stories and I love his language. Reading his books sometimes makes me want to claw my eyeballs out, but I digress. I'm pretty good at skimming. Uh, my favorite, so I don't read a lot of sci-fi, but Connie Willis, I think, is possibly one of my favorite writers of all time. And if nobody's heard of her, you should read To Say Nothing of the Dog, which is just a, sort of a brilliant mystery Victorian time travel romance. And it's hilarious and it just, I just adore it. And I feel like it's got a lot of tropey fic feels already that she doesn't write in that style very often. So I feel like if she were in fandom, she would indulge in that a little bit more. And I'd love to see what would happen if she was just like totally let go with that tropey nonsense. And then I'd love to see what Diana Wynne Jones does with like AUs and like what kind of world building she'd do and where she'd put them. So oh, I think yeah. that would be really fun. Yeah. So we got a couple people who agreed with me on Austin because mm -hmm. duh i mean darcy is the prototype for nearly every romantic hero of the 20th and 21st century <laughs> so doesn't surprise me and then um jb brought up sophie kinsella yeah who wrote the shopaholic series really popular i think and shopaholic is like austin's emma in a lot of ways mm. um 
I think Shopaholic written by, I think, I think her writing a like MIT Tony. Yeah. Would be, I don't want her writing MCU Tony. I don't think like when we meet him at his age. Right, 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 right. But like the Tony that still hasn't quite been completely screwed over by Obi and Howard yet is still kind of earnest. Like the way that Fanon has him. That would be fun. Yeah. That's an interesting one. I think this is a really fascinating question. So we'd love to hear more. Yeah. I have also come up with about 15 others since I answered my own question. So <laughs> I mean, I clearly couldn't just pick one. So yeah, I, and I, when I think about contemporary authors too, like I really, there's an Irish duo named Sarah Breen and Eamon McLeisot who have written this like spot on story about an Irish country stereotype essentially. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is every trope of Irish country life that you could pack into a book and it's three of them and I love them so hard they are the best like dialogue writers uh, and that are it's still it's like prose and dialogue together it's so good I'd love to see them take a crack at the tropes of our craziness continuing with community talks we also have another stony secret And I just want to remind everybody that if you want to submit a Stony Secret, then you can go to our website, click on participation, submissions, and Stony Secrets. These are anonymous messages that are meant to be read on the pod, and they can be about pretty much anything as long as you're being nice. So we just got a new one, and it reads, I'm a little too chicken to leave a public comment, so here we go. I love this podcast so much. It makes my day every time a new episode drops. Plus, I learn stuff in a little heart that's like that's like the highest compliment because we've said it before and we're going to say it a lot that our goal here is to toe the line between entertainment and um information so we hope that you learn and we hope that you have a good time too and if you're uh if you're grocery shopping right now or you're listening at home and you're cross-stitching or um, maybe trying to slam out a couple of words on your whip (laughs) yeah we hope you're having a good time and also learning something and if you want to let us know a little something, a little secret, maybe what you, what you do when you listen to the pod, how you feel about it, how you feel about someone else in fandom. Maybe you want to send a little love letter, hit up our Sony secrets, please. So I had some conversations on the discord this week that were really interesting. I love when we drop a new episode and it gets people talking. That's probably my favorite part of the whole podcast. I mean, after obviously recording with my lovely co-host. Obviously. It goes <laughs> obviously. without saying. <laughs> Um, a couple people after listening to our section on POV last week had some interesting things to say, particularly that I will do the Fandango mentioned that in Spanish fandom, Omni POV is much, much more common than in English fandom. And when they moved from reading mostly in Spanish to reading mostly in English, it was a surprise to see that difference. And I know that's a conversation we've had on the POTS Discord before with some other Spanish speakers as well, um, even from different areas that when they had read in Spanish, uh, Omni is very prevalent. And in English, as we talked about on the pod last episode, Omni is not something that people try very often. And when they do, it can be pretty challenging. So I thought that was an interesting difference from language to language. And I'd also be interested to, I should look into some of the Spanish pieces and see how they approach Omni, if, if the definitions are a little bit different or how, what the balances are like when you're reading in another language. So again, if, if 
in your language, the way people approach POV is dramatically different. Flame and I are both predominantly English speakers. We would love to know uh, how things work in your language. One of the other things that we talked about on the Discord server was this idea that cultivating your fandom experience sometimes also means cultivating your experience with fellow fans. Mm -hmm. And how do you block or not engage with people whose behavior or opinions you find potentially toxic? Some people were expressing concern that if they use some of the tools that are available to them, it would be obvious to the person that they were that they had been blocked or that they're, um, they were unfollowed or what have you. Yeah. And that is a concern I share as well. And so, uh, it was great to, I felt not as alone. So that was nice to see that I was not, was not alone in that fear, but that several of the other people in the, in the discord and Farad, I know you've done this before has had to mm -hmm. block some people. Yeah. Um, it is not something anyone knows. No. If you are friends with somebody, it will remove you from their friends. It will remove that person from your friends list and vice versa. So you can be aware of that. Um, beyond that, it's not like it sends a message to the person who got blocked. They have no idea that they've been blocked. Your messages still appear to them. And the beauty of especially a platform like Discord is that messages move fast enough that if you just are kind of not engaging with one other person, it's not necessarily going to be very obvious. You can always step out of a conversation. Nobody's like, hey, where'd so-and-so go? Because Discord is kind of ephemeral and we sort of expect that kind of thing. Additionally, if you do have somebody blocked, it will write a little, there's a little line kind of that says one message blocked and a little button you can click to open that message up and see what was said. So if you ever do need to check in and see what someone said who was blocked, you'll be able to see it. Additionally, if they private, if they attempt to private message you, they'll get a message from Discord's uh, bot whose name is Clyde. And Clyde will just say that their message was unable to go through. It will not tell them that it was because they were blocked. It can be a setting in your DMs that certain, that like whole, whole groups of people aren't able to message you. So it doesn't, it's not an instant notification to that person that they have been blocked. So if you are concerned, but there is somebody whose messages you don't want to see, or there's somebody you don't want to engage with, you don't have to worry about this starting conflict. It's a fairly safe and fairly private way to disengage from someone. But again, if that feels overwhelming, don't feel like it's a step that you have to take. Just know that it is available to you as part of cultivating your fandom experience. We are all humans of some fashion and we rub each other the wrong way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And that is just life. Mm -hmm. And just because we all love these group of superheroes does not mean that we all love each other and, mm -hmm. <laughs> or even <laughs> like each other that much. And that needs to be kind of, I think sometimes when we talk about the beauty of fandom, it sounds like we think it's a utopia. We do not. Protecting yourself from other humans is important as well if it is necessary. On another note, we did want to do a little public service announcement. The OTW, which is the organization that runs AO3, is running another donation drive. They do this a couple times a year. They usually manage to hit their goal fairly quickly, but they also have allocations for any extra money that they make. It's entirely volunteer run. They have a lot of expenses though. All those words that we make build up, they take up space, they need a lot of server power, and there are certain tools that they need to pay somebody for because they are unable to find a volunteer who has the specialized skills that they need. 
So if you would like to donate to AO3, we will put a link in the show notes, but also if you go to any AO3 page right now, there's a banner at the top with a little bar showing you how far along they are. You can click the link that they have there. They've been doing a lot of scrambling to keep up with the new pressures of people being at home so much more. There's been a server load and they've even had to implement some new features. They've been very on top of things. They've been very transparent. Um, and they're also always transparent about where all their money goes. So if you're concerned what they're going to use your donation for, we will also put a link in the show notes, their most recent blog post about budgeting. So you can check that out and decide if you'd like to donate to AO3. Which we will not so low key encourage if you have the extra resources because AO3 is a huge part of our fandom experience, obviously. Because a huge part of fandom is the process of creation. And one of the other things that we discussed after last episode on the Discord was the idea of the balance between having goals and pursuing joy and how some people may think that those are mutually exclusive, but they're not. Like when Farrah and I talk about why we create, I do talk about stretching myself and goals and I set markers. And I know that is a big part of finding joy for me is experimenting and setting goals for myself. There were some other people on the server that talked about how uh, feeling slightly stressed about something does not have to be, does not have to activate your fight or flight response. <laughs> feeling slightly stressed could mean that you are stretching in a positive way. It could be that you're stepping a little outside your comfort zone. You're riding a ship that you didn't know, or you're trying a pistolary when you've never tried it before, or you're riding AVO for the first time. And that can be a positive stress because then on the other end, when you accomplish that goal, the feeling that comes of that accomplishment makes the stress worth it. And that has a place in fandom, just like it does in offline life. The problem is potentially for people when the stress overwhelms the joy. And we had a couple of people talking about how they found that balance in and of themselves, that they would, they used to maybe freak out over trying to push themselves. And now they're realizing like, no, it's actually pretty good to at least every once in a while set myself an ambitious goal and kind of push it a little bit in that way. And I found that really fascinating that it's just another way that we come at, we all come at fandom differently. When we talk about cultivating your own fandom experience and making sure you're here for joy, that joy, as we said, can come from a lot of different places. And if one of those places is setting challenging goals for yourself, then we certainly didn't want to make it sound like that was a bad idea because you absolutely should push for whatever goals mean something to you. It's just important to recognize where those goals are coming from and whether you're trying to meet your own expectations or someone else's. But it was really interesting to see how different people engaged with their different goals and their different desires and how healthy it is and how self-aware and strong it is to say, I'm uncomfortable right now. I'm finding this stressful, but I know that the value on the other side of it is learning something or proving to myself that I'm capable of something that I want to be able to do and to be able to own that process your frustration or your fear or your stress and come out the other side with an accomplishment. Yeah. And the thing too is with goals, and this is true for a lot of life, a lot of our lives is written in pencil more than we think it is. Mm. You can shift and change and evolve those goals. When I first started, when we actually, when we first started this pod, which feels both like 14 years <laughs> And no time ago at all. Yeah. I was still very much in a mode where I wanted to write a lot of rare pairs and I wanted to try some new modes. And 
somewhere between starting the pod and now I have decided, no, those goals aren't what I want to do anymore. And cultivating joy means writing as much found family fluff with single dads as humanly possible. And that's, that's my goal now. So remember too, that when you say something, even if it's in a discord server and you think that like other people are going to be mad if you change your mind speaking for a friend, <laughs> it, it's your, it, you wrote this in pencil. You can change your mind. That's a good point. And I hope we'll talk about goal setting as its own thing on the pod as well. But um, for me as well, when I started writing in fandom and I started tracking my, like for me, numbers are an important part of a lot of my goals. So I do like tracking my word counts for each day and seeing how that's changing. And it's really interesting to look back on four years of tracking my word counts and being able to see how life makes those numbers go up and down. But when I first started tracking, I was booking about 750 words a day on average. And at my peak production in 2018, I want to say, I was hitting over 3,000 words on average a day. And I hit a point where that wasn't sustainable anymore. And having that as a goal was just stressing me out because I was so rarely meeting it because of the, the other influences of my life and other fandom commitments and everything like that. And I'm now down to a goal of 1,100 about, and I'm consistently being able to hit that. So moving your goals up and down absolutely is a, is a huge part of being a goal setter. So yeah, if you see my chart for this year, there's a giant chunk where you can tell that's when we started the pod. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's there were a, no words written. <laughs> there's a big red spot. Big um, chunk of red. But speaking of other fandom commitments. Oh, yeah. I believe we are owed a trope off update. We are. And I gotta say, drama in trope off <gasps> this week. Tell me everything. You'd think that the most exciting thing that would ever happen in trope off is people wanting both, but it was brought to a new level for the first time. I had a tie on trope off. What? Like an actual? An actual perfect 50 50 split. Oh 120 God. votes perfectly split down the middle there were 60 people out there on twitter land that voted for the first one and 60 people that voted for the other i'm like honestly flummoxed because the statistics that's very statistically unlikely i know a lot of these were close but like they were close by tens of people they weren't close by one person wow so the perfect tie is blowing my mind and i'll admit i was not particularly prepared for that structurally <laughs> So what, what do we, I'm, I'm flummoxed. Yeah. So here's what I've decided to do. It was presumed dead versus gut-wrenching angst, which like with bed sharing and domestic fluff, we had a little bit of conflict because a lot of people felt that presumed dead was encompassed by gut-wrenching angst. And there was some discussion about like, can gut-wrenching angst have, not have a happy ending or can gut-wrenching angst have a happy ending or does that not count as gut-wrenching angst? Like is gut-wrenching angst a moment or an overarching theme for a whole story? For instance, I love angst for the happy ending. I want it to hurt terribly and then I want it to be wonderfully happy at the end. So yeah, some people struggled a little bit with that. I didn't think that the result would be a perfect split, but I guess that's what I get for including those two conflicting tropes in the, in the list. And I will say I, did, I don't choose what, who goes up against who. Okay. I, I used an algorithm to design the brackets. So all of it has been automated and I'm just running what the computer spits out. And uh, yeah, this was, uh, that was an interesting one. So what I have decided to do, the winner of this was going to move on to go up against fake dating in the next round. 
and the loser was going to be out. So I decided I would have them each get to go up against fake dating. If they both won, I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do. <laughs> if one of them won and one of them lost, then the one that won was going to be recorded as having won both and moved on past fake dating. If they both lost, then they would have lost either way and fake dating would have gone on to the next round as it was. So I figured that was a fair opportunity for fake dating to be the next winner. So I ran an extra trope off. And the, so the first one I did was presumed dead versus fake dating. Fake dating won. That was with 60% of the vote versus 40% of the vote for presumed dead. So that knocks presumed dead out. And then I opened it up yesterday to gut-wrenching angst versus fake dating. And we still have a little over a day of voting open, but it's currently sitting at about 38 to 62 in favor of fake dating. And we're already at over 80 votes. I don't think it's going out on a limb to assume fake dating is probably going to take this one too. And if that's the case, then I can say with confidence that ties be damned, gut-wrenching angst and presumed dead will both deserve to be out and fake dating can move on. Well, fake dating is one of the superior tropes, so I have zero problems with this whatsoever. I may have been rallying the cry for fake dating in I, as many servers as possible. I will note with interest that Presumed Dead was winning when I first posted the poll. Okay. And it was when, and when I shared the poll in the POTS server, Presumed Dead kept its lead for a little while. And then when I shared the poll in our POTScast server, suddenly fake dating pulled ahead. I'm proud of our people. Now, I, I can't say for sure because it does take a little while for a Twitter poll to get traction, but most of my Twitter polls do not get retweeted. So these are people who are finding it directly through me, either because they follow me or because they find it in one of the other places that I post it, which is pretty much just Discord and occasionally Tumblr when I feel like it. So yeah, interesting, interesting. It was also interesting that the tie was 120 votes. That was kind of like, that's that's pretty high for one of the tropoffs. And okay. presumed dead versus fake dating was 81 votes. Interesting. Yeah. So I do think sometimes when it's very tight, people are more likely to vote. Because they kind of see, but then again, you don't, you don't actually know until you vote what the current standings are. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes people get um, very intense about their particular, the one that they want to win and they, and they share it. They send it to their friends and stuff like that. And you can see the influence of that because it'll suddenly take a twist in one direction or the other. Oh, that's fun. I didn't, it didn't occur to me to rally the votes that way. I've just been inappropriately exerting my mod power on the... <laughs> on our server and telling people to vote the way that I want them to vote, <laughs> which is pick the fluffiest and schmoopiest trope possible. <sighs> I don't understand this presumed dead nonsense. And then, so I made this whole drama over how I've never read a presumed dead fic and I've read actually several of them and I evidently just blocked them from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, when you said that you were, you were inundated with recommendations for people's favorite were, presumed and, dead. And I read them and they were all wonderful. And then they went into a little pile in my uh, favorite fix spreadsheet that is like, read when you are sad. <laughs> so I got to say, I love presumed dead because I just, as I've said before, I want it to hurt so bad. Like, and then I like, want 
your hurt comfort. Oh my God. Like nothing, nothing encapsulates me more than the concept of hurt comfort. So like, I just want them emotionally to have the shit kicked out of them and then to make everything okay. So presumed dead, I've, I've written it maybe only once, maybe slightly more than once, but well, once and a half, at least, I don't know. I have written it occasionally and Oh, I just love digging into it. I love it. I want more opportunities to write it, but I find it sort of hard to come up with concepts for. Somebody dared me to write it. And that's the, that and goading me on Tumblr are two of the fastest ways to make me write something or (laughs) offering me art. Oh yeah. Somebody, somebody recently was like, oh, I'll draw this if you write it. And I'm like, I will do that. Um, Ah, you remind me of me when I was new in this fandom. (laughs) (laughs) I am but a baby ferret. Uh, I... I'm now chewing over how I would do presumed dad and who I would do it with. Yeah. Well, I so. hope you keep me up to date. I want you to decide because I'm interested. Oh, I will for sure. I'll probably end up gifting it to you. Uh, <laughs> it will be your fault that I write this in some yes. way, shape or form. Yes, guys, it's working. So I just don't know who, because I, as, as somebody who loves Steve, Tony and Bucky deeply, all of those options are delicious. Mm, yum, 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 yum. So I got to work that out. Maybe write all three of them alternating POV each thinking that the other two are dead. <gasps> well, that would bring up that other thing that we talked about in one of the servers where we have a one fic and then you change like one word and you see what changes. Ooh, yeah. So I could do like a triptych and the same plot and just change the person who died. Ooh, girl, you can fancy. See, this is why I talk about stretching. These are the kind of what ifs I also ask myself. Yeah, I like that. So, we'll see. We'll see. We also, but I mean, with fake dating moving on, that's um, that's not super surprising and obviously a super popular trope because it digs into so much of the underlying like pining and being forced to share a bed and oh, they've got to hold hands. What and, happens like, when there's only one bed? Yeah, there's so many tropes that come along with fake dating that I think um, there's no question that it's a fan favorite. Yeah, it's, it is also, I mean, it, of all the trope off ones that we've done so far, that is, that's my truest, deepest, tropiest love. You're always going to vote fake dating? I'm always going to vote because I want them to be so like you want them desperately desperately hurt yeah i want them to be um awkward and have literally everybody else around them know that they're in love with each other than the two of them and i want at some point someone to tell them that they're idiots totally valid i respect you so that's i mean i love that too i love that yeah and i love i love hurt comfort i don't love but i'm growing to love it i'm actually scaring one of i have a couple friends that that think of me as the fluff queen and they know that i'm writing a giant pining fic right now that's full Mm. of angst yeah and they are like who are you and what have you done with our flame (laughs) look at here's a fake husband's that is super super fluffy look i'm doing that too I also don't know if I mentioned this when I first introduced Troboff, but I sent myself a Discord message when I first set this up with my prediction for the end. So that's sort of like my sealed envelope because it has a timestamp on it. And when we finish this, I will open that envelope and everybody can know if I was right or not. But I would say if anybody else out there is hoping to make a prediction, you have now seen all the tropes that will be introduced. The full list is out there. So if you've seen a trope go by and you think it might win, feel free to send a timestamped message to yourself or a friend or post it in the podcast discord for who you think is going to win. 
And at the end of the day, we can see if anybody got it right. We are entering the end game now. So I think we're getting close to a point where, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna see who the top five are gonna be pretty, pretty shortly. now we're going to get a little silly. (laughs) So my very good friend DJ, her birthday is next week. And when she heard I was doing a podcast, the only thing she wanted me to do, because bless her, she's not particularly into Marvel, but she loves me and I love her anyway. The only thing she wanted me to do was a podcast called Animal Gossip. To give you a little context on that, I've talked a bit about my history, uh, with studying English and I've talked about my history studying linguistics and um, you if you follow my Twitter you might know my dogs Frisk and Frisbee but primarily most of my life actually revolves around animals and caring for animals. I am a foster mom. I've had over 70 foster pets in my house over the last five or so years. I help run a rescue. I've managed a rat rescue. I do um, wild animal transfer driving when I can. I've worked with wild birds. I've worked with horses. I've done horse rescue. I used to do animal education at humane societies for kids and in classrooms. And I was a vet nurse. And now I run a business caring for animals. So animals are a huge part of my life. I have pretty extensive experience caring for almost all domestic animals and some wild animals as well. And it does feature sometimes on the POTS Discord. People with animal problems sometimes come to me for help, which I love and I'm happy to help. But Dee likes what she calls animal gossip, which is when she mentions a breed or a species or a type of animal owner to me and I give her the lowdown on what that situation is like. So Dee, because I love you and it's your birthday, for today in our minis, we are going to do an animal gossip lightning round. And I am just going to be providing dog breeds in a rapid fire fashion (laughs) <laughs> and Farrod is going to give us the tea on the breed. Disclaimer, if we do a breed that's your dog, I'm sorry. I'm sure your dog is wonderful and probably the absolute best representation of their breed that there is. But sometimes I can get a little harsh. And I think the deep down in your heart, you know that I'm right. And as a slight flame point, I would love more excuses to make Ferret talk about animals. So if you've got questions, ideas, you would like to hear her do this with, I don't know, fish. Like, will, um, oh God, fish. Yeah, I, that was a bad example. That's like this, that's going to haunt us like semicolons. If, if someone does fish, I will tell you now, I can't do bird calls. That's not going to be the one of the things we do on this podcast. Noted. So anyone that wants to give us other ideas, I will be your cheerleader in helping get more animal content on the pod. And if you need more animal content in your life and you want to vote on Trope Off, follow my Twitter, because you'll get both and pretty much nothing else. Yeah, and I am a, I just like emotionally surrogate animals because I can't have any because of my particular traveling usual lifestyle. So I just will fawn over any fuzzy creature that you put on my screen. So if you would also like to be told how cute your cat is, put it in the Discord server and I will tell you. That does remind me that we frequently have um, adorable animal floods happen in our Discord server because everybody needs some furry pick-me-up. So if, yes. if you're into that, that's a reason alone. To, if, if, all of our, if all of our discussions and 
polls and everything else have not already brought you to the Discord server, I like to think that that'll be the straw that breaks the camel's back and you will come join us finally. So true. Our, gra our graphics goddess, Co, loves starting animal gif parties. The gif parties, yeah. So we are thinking of ways to make sure that that happens even more frequently. So join us for the gift parties. But with all that said, Ferret, yes. are you ready? I am ready. Hit okay. me. My first one is Great Dane. Great Danes. Oh my God. Okay. So they are so big that it's actually not possible for them to have a brain large enough to control a body that large. <laughs> so their brains are designed to maybe control like, I don't know, a dog the size of my dog. She's frisk. She's like, you know, what is it in pounds? 40 pounds or something? Not that much. And that's about how much body a Great Dane can control. And yet they were blessed with like a hundred pounds of body. So they just completely fling it around at random. I have never met a Great Dane in my life that knew what to do with paws the size of dinner plates. They, they completely lack a relationship with the size of their body. That's amazing. Other end of the spectrum, Pomeranian. Oh my God. Okay. You had to pick Pomeranians because this is slightly outside of the lightning round, but I have a special thing for Pomeranians. They're dumb as fucking stumps, you guys. Pomeranians are so stupid, but they're so cute. And there's something about their dumb little faces with their tongues sticking out and like the way that they just scream with absolutely no, like they just shout constantly and they don't care. It never bothers them to hear the sound of their own voice or the sound of their many friends also screaming. And these are the things that usually drive me nuts in dogs, but like they're also, there is no dog. Like, I don't know if you've ever gotten a Pomeranian wet, but there's actually no dog inside the fluff. It is just fluff with a face. There is no dog. You, you can't bathe them because it, they just disappear like cotton candy. You know that video of the raccoon with the cotton candy in the water? Yeah. That's Pomeranians. And yet, I am utterly charmed by them. You'd think I would want to punt them off a bridge like that scene in Anchorman. But I don't. I love them. And I'm a little ashamed. Ugh. How do you feel when people cast Tony as a Pomeranian in Animal AUs? <laughs> I've seen that picture that's like all the other, it's like, um, he's like a bigger breeds of dogs in, in all of the different universes and then in MCU he's a Pomeranian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I kind of love that. I mean, they're like, it makes a cute point, but like the truth is Pomeranians are so stupid they could not possibly be Tony Stark. They're not even just like Tony Stark level, like his particular brand of idiocy. They're not like emotionally incompetent. They're actually generally fairly loved. Like they're affectionate. They like to be touched and held and kissed and told how wonderful they are. But like they don't learn. <laughs> okay, and that's, they, that's an important part of our Tony. Well, yeah, I mean, they would not stay up all night becoming an expert in astrophysics or whichever it was. Yeah. Because the halfway to the bookshelf, they would forget what they were doing and they'd go bark at something instead. So they're like Doug from Up. Um, okay, my next animal then is an Irish setter. Okay, they're so beautiful. I think that they're so beautiful they don't really have time for anything else. And setters are working dogs and they're supposed to like do fancy settery things, but like 
Irish setters are, they're too pretty for that. They're too busy being pretty. I think that they're like actually kind of serious, but they're serious about being beautiful. You don't actually, um, side note, uh, setters are very not common where I live. And I have seen maybe two Irish setters in person in my life. Huh. But where my mom grew up, which is not far from where you are, Flame, yep. they were very, very, very popular. So are they still popular? Um, ish. They have gotten um, less popular. Sidebar. Uh, we have a puppy mill problem in the state where I live. And yeah. they were one of the breeds that was particularly being milled. Ah. So in the kind of backlash and people making sure that they were adopting and not shopping, there mm -hmm. have not been as many setters. Which is sad for me because they are my, and I believe that they are the prettiest. They're not my favorite breed, but they are the prettiest. They are very beautiful. So, and on to my personal favorite breed, uh -oh. Golden Retriever. Oh my God, Golden Retrievers. <laughs> golden Retrievers are so completely obsessed with pleasing humans that they will drop all other factors in their lives to do that pleasing. And yet, they can be so bad at interpreting what it is that you want from them that they will just continuously fling themselves against the glass storm door of life, attempting to please you in the way that you had not asked to be pleased. That is Steve Rogers in a nutshell. Oh, he, yeah. I mean, they're so stubborn in the way that they want to please you that half the time they go right round to come out the other end and piss you right off. And they think that everything that they've ever done in their lives can be forgiven by putting the entire weight of their head in your lap and rolling their eyes up at you, which like. It kind of can. Yeah. They're kind of not wrong, which is also infuriating. But my last dog was a half chow, half golden retriever. And that's like half of her desperately wanted to be, had like crippling uh, separation anxiety and desperately wanted to be my entire world. And the other half was like, standoffish, aloof, stubborn chow. And it was like, there were days when you could see the two halves of her fighting within, you know, she was a constant tornado of trying to figure out how to balance those sides of her. Uh, and then, so my next one, and we can stop whenever you want, because I have the whole American Kennel Club website open, so you just tell me. Um, I could do this all day. Okay, Steve. <laughs> Bichon Freese. Oh, Bichon Fries. They get kind of a bad rap because they're... they like walking cotton balls. They are, and like, they're not, they don't look, they're, they have kind of an 80s aesthetic, in my opinion. Okay. Like, a lot of people think that they're attractive, but like, I think they look old-fashioned. Okay. And I think they have to live with that, and so that's, that's hard for them. Me. Yep. Yeah, they're actually not as stupid as they seem like they should be because they're companion dogs and they were basically bred to be fluffy. But there's, they've got a little, maybe something going on in there and I feel a bit bad that like, yeah, they kind of look like like an 85 prom photo. That's, that's what I get from Beach Alfrise, I feel. So, you know, that's rough. That's a hard place to be. Also a hard place to be, I would think, would be the dog that looks like a living mop, which is a common door, right? Um, there's a couple mop dogs. Okay. The one people are probably going to know the name of more is Pooley. Okay. But they oh, basically yes, look the same. Now. I'm screaming. I'm squirreling. Yeah. Yeah. But, um. So go tell, I just want to know about a mop dog. So mop tell me about dogs. Yeah. Dogs with dreadlocks. Uh, I will actually tell a story about a dreadlock dog 
instead of gossiping it. Well, this is gossip, but it's gossip about a very specific pop dog. So when I was a vet nurse, it was in the city and um, we had a pulley come in and I was not there this day, but the pulley escaped from the vet's office and got free and ran loose in the city. And we put so many hours into trying to get this dog back. And there were several days when the entire clinic was like out in fields trying to find this dog because people had seen it and we'd been putting up posters and all that stuff. Well, I was there the day that they did catch it and bring it back. (laughs) And let me tell you, if you have dreadlocks and you've been running around on your own without any kind of attention for, I believe it was about five weeks by the time we got him back, they are not in a good place. No, that doesn't feel like uh, a real healthy environment. It was, it was not great. And mop dogs are already sort of struggling with a constant battle between them and their hair. And then if you shove them quite literally backwards through a couple of bushes, which is what happened to this dog, then the situation becomes rather extreme. And I was handed a pulley that had been living rough for five weeks, and I was told that the owners did not want him shaved. <laughs> no. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever had dreadlocks. I have not, but I have cared for dogs with dreadlocks, and they don't respond great to being washed. They're not cleanable. And these mop dogs, legitimately, the, the dreadlocks are like locked locks of hair. They're essentially the same formation that dreadlocks are on people. And you can't clean them. So I spent like, I spent like an hour and a half trying to like part and like get his fur clean, but like it wasn't going to happen. We had to shave him in the end. And I wasted so much time trying to clean him without shaving him, but it was like, he'll grow back. He's a dog. He'll grow back. And he did. He was fine. But that's my experience with mop dogs. They're a lot. Like don't take, don't take on a dog that needs that much um, grooming care unless you are committed. Speaking of dogs that are a lot, I've always been told that Dalmatians are a Holy lot, not in shit. terms of like grooming, but in other things. Is that right? It is absolutely right. So I, I have okay. like, there's a whole thing about working dogs. We have like categories of breeds of dogs. And we, obviously dogs were domesticated in the first part, in the first place to do jobs for us. And those, and different breeds of dogs are closer or farther from their working origins. So we've bred whole categories of dogs where their purpose was to be companion dogs. So those are dogs where their entire job is to sit and look pretty. Um, So they're quite far from having like an active job. (laughs) And then there are dogs like Border Collies that are still used in working situations a lot in a lot of places all over the world. German Shepherds still used a lot for work. So these are dogs that are still being bred to work and still have those drives and those instincts and those needs. And there's fucking Dalmatians. I don't think any (laughs) of them really work anymore. Like not the way that they were bred to, they're carriage dogs. They were bred to run alongside carriages. They got along well with horses and they would run in front of fire trucks, which were pulled by horses at the time that these dogs were doing these jobs. And you know, they were comfort for the horses and they would signal that they were coming and they were companions, you know, for the fire truck. And so they had to run and run and run and they had to be active and on and moving for their whole job. 
And so they're very, very active, very lean, very athletic dogs. But like, we fucked them up when we took them off the factory floor. Like, I don't know what we did, but Dalmatians did not at all get the memo that they don't have a job anymore. And they are some of the craziest, most energetic dogs I have ever interacted with. They need so much attention, so much exercise. They're smart and they're speedy and like chaotic and they have very little self-control. And I really don't know what happened, but it went wrong. And I highly recommend that if you want a house pet, it not be a Dalmatian. Well, they're that beautiful. Is a, they are beautiful. They are beautiful. But I just remember when the Hunter One Dalmatian movie came out when I was younger, people were like, do not buy Dalmatians. Yeah. They are not it's house pets. It's no. interesting because we've managed to like corral some of the, like golden retrievers are originally, they're working dogs and they still work in a lot of places. Retrievers are working dogs, but mm -hmm. the jobs that they do are very people oriented. So retrievers are supposed to wait. They're supposed to have self-control until the moment they are activated. They work in short, sharp bursts. They're either like any kind of dog that's working on a stationary hunt like that is either flushing, so they go to bushes and scare the birds out so that they can be shot, or they're retrievers and they're going to take the shot birds usually and bring them back to their people. So retrievers have a very people-oriented relationship with work and shepherds have a very people-oriented relationship with work. They need to herd the sheep where their person wants them to be herded, not just wherever the fuck they want to do it. Yeah. Dalmatians had a horse related working experience. It was not very people controlled. They had a singular job, but it mostly revolved around stables and horses and eventually trucks and running and running and running. And so that lack of relationship with human control, I think completely failed to give them the kind of relationship that a house pet needs to have with a human. It's fascinating. When you said like retrievers are to be, you know, like they have short bursts of activation. Like my favorite animal movie is Homeward Bound. So oh, I was yeah. thinking of Shadow sitting, standing there, wait, wait, Peter, yeah. we'll tell, oh my God, tears. So yeah. final dog for this round, okay. uh, this lightning round, tell me about bulldogs. Okay, which kind of bulldog? Uh, I, are, there are multiple. There are so many bulldogs. Okay, tell me about French bulldogs. Oh, French bulldogs. Okay, so first of all, they're not Boston Terriers. They look very similar, but they're two different categories. Here you see Boston Terriers a lot. You very rarely see French Bulldogs, okay. but French Bulldogs are, well, I'd have to, I'll, I'll make sure to put in the show notes the difference between a Boston Terrier and a French Bulldog because you have to see it. Yes. But Frenchies, they're special. And people who are Frenchy people are Frenchy people. Like, I think they attract people who they bought a French Bulldog because they wanted a French Bulldog. Okay. But what mean? like, what about a French bulldog makes someone a Frenchy person? I, you know what? I, I mean, I like, I like a French bulldog. They're smarter than you think they'll be. First of all, that's nice. They kind of have that goofy, um, like dopey kind of look to them, but they're not quite as much of a speed bump as the larger bulldog breeds are. They're small, they've got energy, but they can be smart. I think it's the intelligence that get people because they have that kind of cute little dog look and they've got big ears and they kind of look like baby Yoda. 
but yeah, a little bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But but then you know, there's there's something there. They can be quite clever. I've known a couple of French bulldogs that I was quite impressed because Boston Terriers, bless them, are not bright, but French bulldogs are. And so I think once people have experienced that, if people are into those little dogs and they like that kind of little cute look, and then they find a dog that's smart and that hits their buttons, because some people do not want a smart dog, then that turns them into Frenchy people. And on that note, this concludes this round of Animal Gossip. Happy birthday, DJ Mill. I hope it's wonderful. I love you. <laughs>to get even sillier but slightly more <laughs> fandom but we're still talking about birthdays so this all works we don't know if you guys are aware of this but it is almost our tony's birthday yay and we would like to throw him a fandom wide birthday bash we will be doing this for steve too do not worry and we are encouraging you to create pretty much anything fandom wise that celebrates tony you can write a fic, you could make art, you can write a birthday card, you could make a birthday card. I'd love to see some really like mocking Hallmark birthday cards. Ooh, yeah, yeah, dig in. If you wanna record a voice message into perhaps the voice notes memo on your phone or something, it's not as hard as you may think it is, we'd be happy to talk you through it. And we could play that note on the pod and you could email that to us. There's lots and lots of options. We would love to hear from you if you ship him in a ship other than Stony, for instance. We'd love to hear how you think he is different or why you really like that ship. We know there's some really passionate Iron Strange folks and Winter Iron folks, and we would love to hear from you about that stuff. Or also Iron Husbands, or I have some people who are really passionate about Tony and Jarvis together. Please talk to me mm. about it. Yeah, or if you love Tonys in different universes for different reasons or in different ways, let us know who's your favorite Tony of all the Tonys. Why do you love him the best? We are here to celebrate Tony. So his birthday is May the 29th. Anything that you can create between now and then, and you post it using the hashtag HBD Tony 2020, which we will spell out in the show notes in case you can't understand what we're saying. <laughs> it stands for happy birthday, Tony. We're not trying to be cryptic. We promise. If you tag us in that, the week of Tony's birthday, we will be reblogging all of your offerings to him as part of his giant fandom wide birthday celebration. We'll also be picking some things to feature on the pod. So if you recorded a voice note and sent it to us, we can play that on the pod. If you made a birthday card, we might talk about it. If you sent us a message or wrote a little Tumblr post about which Tony you like best, that's going to be something that might get featured on the pod the, that week. We are simply looking to throw a party. Tony loves a party and we could all use one. So we hope that you join us in celebrating our favorite billionaire philanthropist playboy superhero. And if you want to celebrate Stony and other Marvel ships in other ways, here's your chance because it's time for our events forecast. Hi, fandom. Only more love here.
your interim forecaster, back to tell you all about what's going on challenge-wise in a Marvel fandom near you in our event forecast. A little note before I start with the current events. You'll be able to find everything I mention in this forecast linked and explained in the show notes of each episode over on podonthesuit.com. All right, so now for the fun stuff. It's back! Stony loves Steve, a Steve-Tony, Steve-centric exchange open to all creators will keep its signups open until May 2nd, with posting taking place June 22nd and reveals going from June 27th to July 4th for Steve's birthday. The signups for the Marvel Reverse Big Bang are also open. This bang is a free-for-all, all ships welcome, reverse bang, meaning artists come in first with art submissions due June 12th, and writers will claim the art they would like to create for on July 3rd. The mods of the Pepperoni Week launched a poll for participants to decide on their favorite tropes and prompts to appear when the week goes up. The poll is open until May 1st, and the results will be posted with additional info about the event. Another exciting piece of news is the new blog, Starker Festivals, on Tumblr, which will be running events at different times. Their first one, a mini 3x3 community bingo, will end on April 30th. Keep yourself posted by following them. And if you're more of an Iron Husbands or Steve Rohde shipper, or just adore Rohde himself because he deserves all the love, you'll be happy to know there will be a Rohde Appreciation Week running from May 24th to May 30th. The prompts are already out on the Tumblr page. A fun event that's a little different was just announced on the Fic Appreciation Bingo. It's a low-key, no-sign-up event that basically has people fill out bingo cards for kudos and comments they leave on Fix. There are currently three cards, one general and two Stucky-focused, but Mod Nosferat says there are more coming of other ships. With squares like Sam is a good bro and under 30 comments, there's lots of options to get involved here. We announced it before, and now it has arrived. The Rare Pairs prompt meme revealed its prompts last Sunday. So if you happen to ship Steve or Tony, or both, together with a third or more, you may want to browse them. The round will end on July 18th. There are no signups or minimum requirements, just many, many rare pairs split into 365 submitted prompts. And to finish our forecast, we thought it was important to relay the message of the Stucky Library mods, as some of you may not have seen it. But following the discovery of one rogue mod's censorship, the other two mods, Blue and Julia, decided to move to a new blog now called Stucky Library, and not the Stucky Library, to maintain and preserve the sanctuary part of their mission as a fake archive. The Tony Stark Bingo, Cap I Am Bingo, Cap I Am Kink Meme, and Lights on Park Avenue are still open for participant signups and or contributions, and the links to all these are still in the show notes of episode one. This has been your events forecast. I'll see you next episode, and happy shipping.
And thanks to the rest of the Potscat staff for all their hard work. Thanks to Blade of the Nebula for chatting with me, to Pineapple Breads for the gorgeous art, and to the server for the various rec lists. And as always, thanks to you all for your comments, questions, and engagement. This is your fandom podcast, and we want to make it the best it can be for you. Remember, you can comment on the website or get in touch across any of our socials. Keep sending stony secrets and questions and chatting with us on the Discord, and we'll see you soon for episode six. You've been listening to Pod on the Suit. Thanks for joining us.